0: Hello again, everybody, and welcome into another edition of Political Beats, a presentation of National Review. Find us on Twitter at Political underscore Beats. Join the conversation there. Also on Facebook, we ask you to subscribe to our feed for new episodes. Get them right to you. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. Tune in NationalReview.com. Click on the podcast tab. You'll find all the fine NR shows there, including this one. Listen, leave reviews, especially Apple Podcasts, so people can find the show. Also, point toward our Patreon, patreon.com slash politicalbeats. It's been more than a year now since it's been up. Some special anniversary shows happening now for some of our supporters there. But you can go there, support us, help the show stay ad-free. There's entry level for general support, some voting privileges. In fact, this show happening due to your vote. Uh, Mid-level for early access and higher audio quality. And upper level, best friend level for early access, higher audio quality, monthly exclusive content, remastered episodes, uh, Spotify playlists, and much more. All of that there at Patreon.com slash Political Beats. My name is Scott Bertram. Find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. My tag team partner standing by, as always, Jeff Blair. Jeff, how are you?
1: Uh, I can't. I can't lie, I've been better. I'm currently broadcasting to you live from the underground bunker here I've got in uh, Honduras. Uh, I'm pretty good on the lawyer's bit, but I will need guns and money.
0: I can help you with half, well, no, maybe a quarter of that. We'll we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, Jeff on Twitter, at EsotericCD. And our guest for this program, a returning guest... Uh, he is currently Midwest Regional Editor for the Center Square. He's written extensively on pop culture, literature, and public policy for various reference books, newspapers, magazines, websites. Recently, uh, a couple of, uh, of his essays have been on our artist today. You can go find those if you like. And he's well in the mood. He's wearing a gray shirt. Uh, it's Bruce
2: Edward Walker. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Scott Jeff. Great to be back. I'm real excited about this conversation because I know that there's going to be a little uh, pushback on some of my opinions, and I think I might just uh, get a little bit testy in supporting my own. So it'll be fun and exciting and a, fit, spicy. a fitting
1: tribute to a cranky old That's, guy uh, himself.
2: Uh, well, uh, I, I I am cranky and well, probably older than you two. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, before we get to our artist today, we uh, turn the floor over to Bruce uh, briefly to tell
0: us a uh, little about what he does at the Center Square, where you can find his writing, things like that. Bruce?
2: Well, you can find my my straight journalism at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. And uh, we cover taxpayer stories of interest, so any public policy issues that uh, hit the pocketbook. We, we, we cover those and we have a presence in all 50 states. So, uh, and, uh, we also are used as a wire service. So other publications can pick up our stories and use them for free as long as they credit us. And prior to that, I, uh, was in the think tank universe and I, I write a weekly column as well where I touch on pop culture and some literature, sometimes I get a little bit lofty. Um, like Warren Zebon, I enjoy Ross McDonald and Hunter Thompson, but <laughs> I also like my French poetry.
0: And uh, Bruce is back with us today. His first effort is uh, an episode that uh, I, I think of fondly on uh, the monkeys. And uh, back today to talk about Warren Zevon, and this is we graduated
2: from monkeys to gorillas. Gorillas,
0: yes. Uh, And I I mentioned uh, a bit earlier this uh, we we did a poll a few weeks back on uh, five potential episodes, and I believe Warren Zevon led the pack. So here we are doing the show with Bruce Edward Walker. Uh, I think this is going to be a, a really interesting episode for a number of reasons, but before we get to all of that, we let Bruce take the floor, explain why you love Warren Zevon, how you got into him, and why people should care about this music, Bruce.
2: Well, uh, interestingly enough, I used to hang out at a record store and uh, head shop, and not necessarily in that order. Sometimes <laughs> it was a head shop with the records in the back, but uh, the proprietors thereof, had an extra ticket to see Bruce Springsteen on his Darkness on the Edge of Town tour, and we went. And it was a mind-blowing show. It was absolutely fantastic. And we're driving back, and you you could have peeled me off the roof of the vehicle. I I was so high from the show, uh, and I, I was a automatic convert to to Springsteen's music. So um, my ears were opened. The scales were lifted from my eyes. And the next thing you know, they pop in a cassette and one side is Tom Waits and the other side is Warren Zevon's mm-hmm. debut album. And I, I felt like I had found a compatriot, mm-hmm. a guy who has a dry wit, who really references literature, good and bad, and, uh, had a, had a dark sense of humor. <laughs>
3: little risk, send lawyers, guns, and money. Dad, get me out of this!
1: Ha!
3: I'm the innocent bystander.
2: I think. Uh... I, I just finished reading his ex-wife's book on him, and I think one of the terms used to describe Zevon was rye, hmm. as in W-R-Y. And uh, I, I, I I, found uh, someone that um, I absolutely loved, and then I kind of fell away from it into the, the punk maelstrom that was going on at the time, and had my heart broken, and encountered another individual who had also had his heart broken. So we picked up a 12 pack and we headed out to the dams north of town on the Chippewa river in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. And we played music and I listened to him tell his sob story. And I realized that his sob story was probably worse than mine. <laughs> and, uh, but we, we had a soundtrack to that evening. And one of them, one of the, uh, tapes that he played was, uh, how the hell do you spell rhythm by the amazing rhythm aces and it was uh, a terrific album and but then he turned the side over and it just changed the entire mood of the evening and it was stand in the fire the zvon live album which totally totally blew my doors off <laughs> We bought that album as well, and uh, a year or so later, my my heart was no longer broken. I was <laughs> with a, another girlfriend living in Chicago, and we were walking past Park West in Chicago, and on the marquee, Warren Zevon tonight. And she said, "Have you ever seen him live?" And I said, "No." And she goes, "Well, I have, and he puts on a great show." And I thought, okay, well, this would be great. So we, we bought tickets. We went to, uh, the early evening show. There were, there were two sets that night and it was, uh, I, I, I don't have enough superlatives to, to describe how wonderful the night was. And it was just prior to my, my birthday. And I was wondering, you know, having an existential crisis as I walked into the show and halfway through the concert, uh, there was no crisis. (laughs) And uh, my existence was everything having to do with this wild man on stage who was putting on one of the most amazing, uh, not one of the, the most amazing shows I have ever witnessed. And it, it was nothing but full bore energy And great songs. And there was a a continuing uh, monologue that he was doing through the show where he was poking fun at Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska, while at the same time telling people to stay away from drugs and alcohol. And uh, it it was just absolutely astounding. Walked out of that show and have been a Zevon fanatic ever since.
0: Scott, why don't you go next? Sure. I... Um, of course, knew from listening to the radio the handful of Zevon hits that were often played: "Werewolves of London" and uh, "Excitable Boy" and "Lawyers Guns and Money." And I was working at ESPN One Thousand in Chicago, and it was '02. It had to be '02 or three. so it was at, you know around the time that Zevon was diagnosed, and may have been around his death. I just don't remember exactly when. But one of my co-hosts on the show, we're all big music fans, uh, John Yurkovich, who used to play in the NFL for the Browns and the Jaguars and the Packers, uh, big gregarious guy and uh, massive Warren Zevon fan. He had a Warren Zevon tattoo, in fact. And uh, <laughs> one day walked in and I think we were, I th- it may have been around his death because we were doing some sort of, I think, tribute uh, uh, show or, you know, we were, we were paying tribute to the music and he brought in this, this box set, Zevon box set. He's like, you know, Warren Zevon, kid? I'm like, yeah, I don't know, a little bit. He's like, you got to take this home and listen to it. So I did. And uh, boy, oh boy, uh, you know, it's, it's chronological in the box set. So it started with the, the self-titled uh, disc, not, not the one from 69. And uh, Frank and Jesse James. That was probably one of the first actual album cuts of Warren Zevon's that I had heard. And really, really liked it from the very beginning.
3: farm back when the west was young two boys learned to rope and ride be handy with a gun war broke out between the states and they joined up with Cantrill. and it was over in Clay County that Frank and Jesse finally learned to kill keep on riding, riding, riding Frank and Jesse James
2: And,
0: uh, and, and all the things that Bruce said about him and his writing, and his wit, and uh, his sort of uh, cynical view on on many, many things we'll get into during the, the lyric conversation through the course of the show, uh, appealed to me. You know, I, I have to say, going back through some of... <laughs> You know, it's weird, and and Jeff will relate, I think, because we have a lot of the same experiences. My my library growing up, the only Warren Zevon album they had was Transverse City, and uh, so <laughs> uh, that was all I the knew. No wonder
1: you are a huge Zevon
0: fan. Uh, 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 that, that was what I had some experience with previously as well. But some of those albums, especially in the '90s when it was off major labels, I hadn't given a lot a lot of time to until prepping for this episode, and. Uh, Zivon's a frustrating artist, uh, because uh, at least in my mind, and, and we'll discuss, but he has this uncanny ability to 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 follow up really solid efforts, really good albums, with total duds for no particular reason, and then follows that cycle through over and over again. It's hard. That's that's why I think you know entry points for a guy like Zivon are tough too, because you can't you go chronologically through, you're going to end up with uh, with a couple of duds in the middle of getting a couple of really great albums. And so, uh, um, you know, and you throw in, which I know, of course, we'll talk about, you know, his his problems, his alcoholism, you know, staying out of the spotlight for years at a time. Um, you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of, I think you kind of have a weird relationship with uh, with him and, and his music. And so perhaps we'll be able to, 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 to create some entry points and, and sort of tell this tale through the course of our story today.
1: Zivot is... It's fascinating because there's really nobody who's quite like him in modern rock music. The closest closest analog that I can think of would be someone like Harry Nilsson. Um, Both of them were massive alcoholics with a lot of precocious talent who got off to big early starts and then just sort of sabotaged themselves. And, uh, you know, I I think – Zivon had a much happier ending. He, it was just you know, say so he did die, but it wasn't you know it was just like random cancer diagnosis and, and, yeah. he, and he went out on a high note. Uh, but that doesn't really do justice to what Zivon is about. Zivon is singular, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's a hard artist to explain to people. There's no Warren Zivon sound. Every one of his great albums, and we have several great albums as we're going to discuss on the show. They don't all sound like one another at all, you know. I mean, Excitable Boy versus The Envoy versus Life Will Kill You versus you know, Sentimental Hygiene. All these are great albums. They don't really sound like one another. There's no unifying Zevon sound because he always loved to work with like the best Los Angeles studio pros available. That was the, those are the guys that he could always call on. Those are the people he grew up with in the scene. So he never kind of had his own internal consistency in sound. So everything—the thing that unites all of Warren Zevon's music—is obviously himself, his songwriting sensibility. Who is this guy as a person? <clears throat> well, he's obviously an alcoholic. His backstory is almost like legendarily weird. We don't have time to, to like discuss it. His dad was like a mob bookie or something like that, wasn't it? Uh, he and so like you know, and his parents got divorced when he was really young. So we like you know left home at age 16 and moved to New York to become a singer, songwriter, then moved to L.A. because he realized New York was not where you wanted to be if you wanted to make it in the rock scene. Uh, and then he, you know, falls in with, like, the L.A. scenesters like Kim Fowley who has him cut an album, an early album, which we'll address in a second for five seconds. <laughs> for five uh, seconds. And <clears throat> but then basically bounces around the whole L.A. you know rock music scene as sort of like a guy that other guys knew. Uh, Jackson Brown was kind of like this for the longest time himself. Before he got his own recording contract, he was just this guy who wrote songs that other artists liked to cover. You'd see him at all the parties. He'd always be, he'd always be sitting there at the piano playing something, and you'd be like, ah, that's a really nice little song. When are you going to like do an album, Jackson? Well, that's who he was until 1972. Well, that's who Zevon really was until 1976. He was this guy who was writing these wonderful tunes that other artists were already using and playing. Werewolves of London was being played on the Rolling Thunder, the Bob Dylan Rolling Thunder tour, by another band in 1975. All right, That's, that's before Zeevon's first album. Um, and he never was able to make it big until he finally comes out with his debut album, which was produced by none other than Jackson Brown. Uh, but before we start there... We got to like sort of situate this guy in Southern California and the whole rock scene and, and, and kind of try to. Does is, is anybody want to sort of tackle the, the sort of split personality of his lyrics? He has this sardonic attitude, this ability to write vicariously, like it purely imagination you know, stories of pure about like Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. But then he also writes these deeply personal, lacerating, self-confessional songs. Because if there's anything that sets Warren Zevon apart, before we start discussing his albums, it's his voice. Not his singing voice, per se, but his lyrical voice. The guy wrote from a very distinct point of view. Well, upon my
3: Smith Corona And I went to Hangs out down on Alvarado Street by the pioneer chicken sand. Carmelita, hold me tighter. I think I'm sinking down, and I'm all strung.
1: be able to try to put a finger on what it is it's a challenge. challenge
0: it's a it's a big challenge which is of course is. while you're giving it all to me
4: um uh-huh. I is, haven't thought.
0: There, there are i mean it is even hard in uh, to sort of put a finger on. Uh, jeff said there's no the Warren Zevon sound it's even hard to put a, a finger on his style other than you know you're always going to sort of be hit in the face by uh, uh songs like excitable boy and others that have this sort of really dark uh not even just cynical, just dark and, and kind of twisted uh, point of view. Even rolling the headless uh, Thompson gunner too, and a couple of times in my notes, you know, you have these albums where it's it's difficult, or I don't want to say difficult, but you know, there are times when he's writing these very sincere uh, songs, and they're they're stuck right next to sort of s- some of these wild uh, lyrical narratives. Um, and, and, and then you have uh, places where he sounds sincere, but he's not at all. And I think that also keeps listeners really off balance uh, when but it the comes same to album taking that has Warren Zevon. Ax-
1: the same album that has Accidentally Like a Martyr also has Excitable Boy right. and Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. right? So it's no wonder to me that people just didn't know how to quite get a handle on Warren Zevon as an artist. And, and then you know, that leaves you with people
0: who are just... Maniacal, weirdos. right? Maniacal fan, weirdos who are maniacal fans, like my friend, you know, John Yurkovich David Letterman famously was a massive Zevon fan. He had him guest all the time. He filled in. He makes Paul an appearance Schaefer. on one of
1: the great songs of the right. album later,
0: and and uh, and, and hosted him uh, often, you know, before his death. So you had these these sort of odd ducks who found a uh, a kindred spirit in Warren Zevon. But I think, I mean, really, I I, I think for for a, a normal typical. Music fan Zebon's a hard guy to grasp onto
2: well, I think I could compare him to say uh perhaps maybe like Frank Zappa, who could do some uh silly songs, but then also just devastate you with you know wonderful musicianship and with Zibon, his lyrical voice could go anywhere from a Gan Wilson cartoon hmm. where you're thinking. This guy is just really sick and twisted. I mean, he went beyond Gary Larson and in, into Gann Wilson uh, territory. Uh, but then at the same time, he would have something that was so. And and I think you, you, you nailed it, Scott, when you said it could be sincere or more than likely not. Uh, just wonderful, very tender, beautiful, uh, self-revealing love songs. And and um, I don't think anybody could capture the the feeling of loneliness and uh, in the midst of a bender than Carmelita, which is just one of my all time favorite songs. Simply because um, I I can relate to the the deep seated feelings of loneliness that are conveyed in those lyrics.
1: Right, and in fact, his first album in nineteen seventy six is just called Warren Zevon. Uh, has both of those aspects to it, you know, uh, and I think actually, interestingly, leans far more towards the more sort of pensive and sentimental side, sort of confessional side, which is interesting because that's not what would happen later on. This is the one uh, that is universally well loved, and I think the second half of it is almost unimpeachable, but there are parts in the first half of the of Warren Zevon's real debut album, um, not the. 1969 album, which no one discusses. We're just going to forget that that exists. It was an accident. It's actually comically bad. And that's the only thing I'll say about it. But there are parts of the Warren Zevon debut album where I hear it and I think to myself, this is a Jackson Brown album, but not in a good way. I like Jackson Brown a lot, but Jackson Brown should be singing Jackson Brown songs, not Warren Zevon. And why does it sound like that? Well, it's because Jackson Brown is producing it great friend of Zevon's, and you know really gave him a leg up got him signed to his record contract in fact uh but the first album is beloved by almost everyone else and I I think I will say this that he is never better than when he's weird so when he he rocks out like doing this weird jungle stomp like he rocks like he doesn't quite know how rock and roll
4: works on I'll sleep when I'm dead
1: he doesn't quite understand rock isn't just pounding pianos into the ground but it works on I'll sleep when I'm dead that song is great live but I really love the original studio version of it because it's it's like a strange groove there's something ominous delirious really obsessive compulsive about it I guess we know that Zevon was an obsessive compulsive guy himself well then that the lyric makes a ton of sense in light of that. Got
3: a 38 special. I found the shell. I'll sleep when I'm dead. If I start acting stupid, I'll shoot myself. Then I'll sleep when
4: I'm dead. Do
3: <laughs>
1: Of course, the other one, how could you not like poor, poor, pitiful being where the poor guy is he's, he's just so down on his luck that he can't even commit suicide the right way. He Puts his head down <laughs> on the tracks, wait for the train to come by and roll on over. Him. Then he finds out, oh, they, they shut down this line long ago. <laughs> um, uh, and it just gets better from there. But uh, so what do you guys think of the first album?
2: I am. Well, like I said uh, in my introduction, I, I'm still the. 18 year old peeling myself off the, the ceiling of the roof of a vehicle coming back, listening to Zevon's first album. I, I think it's absolutely astounding. And I, I, I think that the, the opening track just really establishes the entire mood of the song of, you know, check your footing because you're going for a wild ride. You start out with Frank and Jesse James. So you're, you're going into this Western mythology and. It's basically a a gilded invitation into the weirdness, the wildness that that is Warren Zevon. You're 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 starting out as a old West guy. And then all of a sudden, the the second song is Mama Couldn't Be Persuaded, where now he's going into a piece of his own family history of his father being a gangster, um, a mobster, a compulsive gambler who uh spent time in in the clink and it it's uh it, it's like okay we're 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 going through a library that extends from Ross McDonald to Jim Thompson to Hunter Thompson and and onward from there Hitler tried to be a family man
3: though it didn't suit his style he thought he had him and so he took us where the stakes were high. The parents warned, tried to reason, but they never kept the disappointment hid. They all went to pieces when the bad luck hit. Stuck in the middle, I was the kid, and my mama couldn't be persuaded when they pleaded with her daughter, "Don't marry that man." Mama couldn't be persuaded when they pleaded with her daughter, "Don't marry." that Not to marry that man.
0: This is, as I mentioned, the first really deep cuts from Warren Zeba, not the radio cuts that I heard. And so I'll always have a very special place for Frank and Jesse James. I mean, that, that's the first song that burst out of the speakers when I borrowed that box set from Yurko. Uh, jeff had made a, a comment in one of our emails that says you know it's like, almost like a bernie taupin song right? it's a song that should be on tumbleweed connection uh and that makes some sense but i i, I think it really does work uh i, I do agree with jeff I, I know this is a beloved album and it's very very good i, I don't know if it's quite the stone cold classic right that uh, that that it's thought of in some circles there are i think issues on, on that first half but by the time he's winding up for the second Side. He's in fine shape. Poor, poor, pitiful me, which Jeff already talked about. Uh, you know, these young girls just won't let me be. What a terrible problem to have. Uh, that stinging <laughs> guitar, that wonderful piano. Uh, that is...
1: Oh, and one of his greatest single rhymes ever. She was a credit to her gender. She put me through some changes, Lord. Sort of like a wearing blender. Oh, it's, it's, that's that's just my. I, you, you, every time you hear that, you just laugh. And also, the, the sheer joy of that performance. I mean, the, the yes. LA studio yep. pros finally getting to rock out a little bit uh, it, instead of being so damn tasteful. Well, I met
3: Aker West Hollywood. I ain't naming names. But you believe her? Me over good. She was just like Jesse James. credit to her gender She put me through some changes Lord, sort of like a wearing blender
0: instead had the hit, but this is a better version. This is a great, yeah. great version of the song. Yeah, and Katie then it, Clark had a, had a hit with it as well. Yep. Yeah. And, and I think my, perhaps my favorite song, well, the last song's great, but the last song inside one is is also fantastic. I, I, I like the French inhaler, this kiss off to uh, his ex-wife uh, with beautiful harmonies from Don Henley and Glenn Frey. They wouldn't do a lot more than harmonizing this from this point oh, forward.
1: You don't like I, it? I'm allergic to the harmonies. Yeah, it's, I, it's, not the, it's not the song's fault. You're right. It's a it's a really well-written, well-observed yeah, song. Yeah, it's a great set of lyrics. It's a great set of lyrics, and it's a smart melody, and it's a smart like, structure. It builds. And I hear those little yeah. oohs and ahs from Don and Glenn, and I just <laughs> think, oh, the f- Eagles. Oh, God. And, and it's so many times. It's the same thing. We'll talk about it with, with the Gorilla, You're a Desperado. It's a funny song, but then I hear those harmonies. Yeah. And like, I just, I'm like Homer Simpson when you try to take his beer and TV. It's his urge to kill, rising. <laughs> Rises, yes. Urge to kill, rising. And well, again, yeah. I, I'm just, t- my taste dispositionally is averse to that sound. Tell me how you're going to make your way
3: in the world. Cut out the work again. And you just, just... came.
2: Well, well if you want to strip away the harmonies for the French inhaler you can always check out the YouTube clip from the Larry Sanders show where he does the song hmm. and it's 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 and very nice it's just even him better I and have a, a piano th-
1: the deluxe version of the album has an alternate take of it which is just him you know without the harmonies laid on it far better <laughs> far better it's like a breath of fresh air i recommend it but yeah that's great and then scott i interrupted you cue it up because side two i think is where the real the real strength of this album is where warren's voice is finally there
0: yeah i from the start uh you know Mohammed's radio um you already talked about i'll sleep when i'm dead which yeah it's just the stomping anthemic the sort of off-kilter harmonica running through and the way that it starts and ends as if it's already in the middle of something. It's a, it's a song that, that continues. Uh, Bruce talked about Carmelita, uh, which, which is just a gorgeous song. Uh, Join Me in L.A. is there. And then I, I'll let uh, whoever wants to take Desperados Under the Eaves, which, which is perhaps uh, it's one of his best statements, certainly one of his best songs, a song that Letterman famously tried to get him to perform on the show and he would never do it. I I think because he perhaps knew he couldn't do it any better than he did it on this album.
1: It's one of his finest songs. It's very close to making my top five at the end. And I think it will probably be the only one from this record that does it. It's him writing about himself, which I think may be another reason why he didn't want to play it live. Yeah, Um, It's like, it's funny because, you know, maybe even, it's more acute when you know Letterman is asking him to do this in 2002, uh, which is the last time he appeared on the show. and Letterman gave over, Letterman gave over basically the entire show for, of late night to him for like a whole concert. Um, <clears throat> but he still wouldn't do this because he probably looked at himself in 2002 and said, "I'm still the same guy I was in 1975 when I wrote this, which is a song about him sitting in you know, in, he actually says, "I'm sitting in the Hollywood Hawaiian hotel. Was he staring at an empty coffee cup?" And he's just thinking about, like, you know, I'm going to drink all the margaritas in Los Angeles. What am I? I'm a guy who lives out of hotels. I don't even have a permanent home or a residence. I'm just sort of not even failing. I'm treading water. I'm just getting drunker. And I'm pretending that I'm living some desperado life, some rebellious life. But, yeah, all I'm doing is sort of biding my time away. And there's that fantastic line a lot of people might say. It's the single greatest lyric where he says, you know, if, if California slides into the ocean, like the mystics and statistics say it well, I predict this motel will be standing <laughs> until I pay my bill, which presumably is going to be for all of eternity. I
3: was sitting in the Hollywood Hawaiian Hotel. I was staring in my empty coffee cup. I was thinking that the gypsy wasn't blind All the salty margaritas in Los Angeles I'm gonna drink them up And if California slides into the ocean Like the mystics and statistics say it will I predict this motel will be standing Until I pay my bill
4: But don't the sun, sun begin Again with the trees Don't the trees Look like crucified oh. things
3: Don't you feel like desperados Under the eaves?
2: Help the one who oh, and Jeffrey, uh, you got my vote there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a beautiful song. Uh,
1: but, you know, I, I think that... You also want to say something about Join Me in L.A. These first two albums have these weird funk excursions on the second halves of them for some reason. It's almost like z basically just said, listen, I'm going to go uh, you know, have a-, a bottle of whiskey. Why don't we give the band some? You guys all use L.A. St- session Pros, and we know what you really want to do. You want to funk out. <laughs> so you-, you get songs like Join Me in L.A., and then in particular, you get on the next one, you know, uh, you know The Switching Yard. Um, but I really love these. They, they-, they aren't um, – they aren't really songs with any real purpose other than just to have fun, but I, I also think there's kind of a dark undercurrent to join me in LA. It almost feels like it's like, you know, like like the vampires welcome you into the vampire's yes. castle.
0: Because they need your blood.
4: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Join us. Join, join us. us
1: here in the Den of Sin <laughs> and you know, so we can feed upon you. And that's that night z touch that I really like about that song.
3: Will they say this are Daddy!
0: I think that this next album, um, Excitable Boy, right? This is the one in which his most well-known songs are listed, right? It, it, well, certainly if anyone knows a single Warren Zevon song, it is a little tune called Werewolves of London. If you know a second one, it's probably Lawyer's Guns and Money. And a third, maybe it's Excitable Boy. And they're all here on um, Excitable Boy, the second album from from Warren Zevon and uh released in 1978 it's his most uh, uh i think it's his, his highest selling album too um despite some uh some some that did okay business down the road and yet i don't know guys i this one always leaves me a little um unfulfilled i th- those great songs are great and i'm not so sure about some of the i know jeff just got done praising like nighttime in the switching yard but to me, it's 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 just a little bit of uh, it's a little bit filler on this album. I I, I don't love uh, Vera Cruz. Johnny strikes up the band is nice and all, but it's not you know kind of groundbreaking. You have those big big highlights, those wonderful songs, and in between, I'm not so sure. There there are moments, a- a- accident like like a martyr is 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 a great song, but I'm not sure this is is um, sort of up to the standards of those three sort of peaks on Excitable Boy. What do you think?
1: I think you're well, high, and, and I also think that you've completely inverted perfectly my opinions on the quality of the songs <laughs> on this record. So I think I think one of the few blemishes on the record is Accidentally Like a Martyr, which is just so silly. We made love like madly. I can't remember the rhyme. It's like madly, sadly, badly, accidentally like a martyr. Ah, it's just schlock. It's mid-70s schlock. It's my least favorite form of Zevon. It's, it's right up there with Hasten Down the Wind from the first album. this, this sort of like, mawkish sentimentality I consider to be unworthy of him. But I really love Johnny Strikes Up the Band. I think that's a really great little opening riff. You know, when Johnny Strikes Up the Band, do, 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 you can almost see him playing it as the song. You, it's a song you can... It, visualize the performance of it and it's also a bit of like hype you know it's like you know, when Johnny comes it's gonna be great it's a bit of the boys are back in town really is what it is but I think it's a fine song look around my little friend jubilation in the land
3: ready get ready rock steady and Johnny strikes up the band Johnny strikes up the band Johnny strikes up the wind, Johnny strikes up the wind, Johnny strikes up the band. Johnny strikes up the band, Johnny strikes up the band. When Johnny strikes up the wind, Johnny strikes up the wind.
1: gonna let you guys talk about the rest, but, but Scott, how could you be so wrong about this? I think this is actually this this album is so under is so overrated that now it's underrated. Right? I
0: I merely wanted to begin our what I think will be a repeated motif here in this episode of us pretty pretty heavily disagreeing on opinions about future warnings. I just wanted to get that started.
2: I think it's chock a block with great songs. And I happen to think Johnny strikes up the band, and Nighttime in the Switching Yard are both more or less filler. And uh, sorry about that, Jeffrey, but i not not a huge fan of those. But I, I think accidentally like a martyr is that is one of those tender songs that that Zevon excels at. And I think the character of that is singing the song is not Zevon; it's someone who does have a limited vocabulary and that's why he sings it that way and uh, where he just throws a bunch of adverbs in before the word love and trying to describe the passion that he felt for this woman at one given point in time the days side by
3: should have done should have done we all sigh never thought I Such a long, long time Time out of mine We made mad love, shadow love Random love and abandoned love Accidentally like a martyr The hurt gets worse and the heart gets harder
2: Uh, Smarter take on the song the mine, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that, but uh, anyway, yeah, I, I, I really like the album, but I just find that it seems almost hurried. And I think he, the, the, the tank was only half full when he set out on the journey.
1: Famously, he was drunk for a yes. lot of this
2: album. I mean, I, yeah. I,
1: there's a story where he was like, you know, so violently like raucously drunk that he blacked out he didn't remember anything and when he woke up he'd written tenderness on the block <laughs> wh- 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 which is a pretty great song you're right when you black out drunk and this is another one of those smaller songs on the record that i think is more than delightful p- little pop confection
0: look this is a good album i don't want to have my previous criticism be all you hear about it from me uh, Roland Headless Thompson Gunner is one of my favorite Zevon songs, and There's so much
1: to say about this song, man.
0: That this is sort of the this is sort of the epitome of what I was talking about earlier—the the, the narrative, literary quality of some of the some of the work and some of these songs. This is, you know, this this multi-part sort of—I mean, you could write a novel. Uh, from the lyrics of Roland, the headless Thompson Gutter and this, uh, you know, the warrior from the land of the Midnight Sun, and you know, rebel fighters and, and insurgents, and the Congolese and in South America, and you know, revenge and all, this, all, all of it packed into this what, what four minute long song. It's both somber, serious, but also. Uh, You know, there's a little elbow in the ribs at times. It's funny at times.
1: There's nothing serious about this. It's hilarious with his finger. I mean, it's grim because he's talking about, like, okay if you want to understand the headspace that Warren Zevon was in when he wrote "Rolling the Headless Thompson Gunner, the way to understand it is to imagine Billy Bragg singing it (laughs) with like a really kind of like an outraged tone because that's exactly what it was meant to be. You can tell some of the word choices that he uses and some of the way he sings the scansion of the lines. That What it basically is, it's a repurposing of, uh, you know, Depression era through the 40s, Woody Guthrie esque protest songs. John Henry. The man was so good that, you know, he was the best. He could dig more coal than anyone that they didn't like him because he was so good. So they brought in the machine. They decided they wanted to prove him wrong. It's the same kind of a story. And that's why, that's how you get that hilarious, hilarious lyric. You know, his comrades fought beside him, Van Owen and the rest. You can almost imagine like the Clancy brothers singing it. But of <laughs> all the Thompson Gunners, Roland was the best So the CIA decided they wanted Roland dead That son of a bitch Vano Blew off Roland's head That's exactly what it is It is an updating and a reconsideration Of like those old folk songs About like you know the, the, yeah. the populist hero Except this time he's a mercenary Who's the fighting in the Biafran civil wars And that's why it's funny.
3: But his comrades fought beside him Van Owen and the rest But of all the Thompson Gunners Roland was the best So the CIA decided They wanted Roland dead That son of a bitch Van Owen Blew off Roland's head time Roland, the Stalking through the night In the muzzle flash Of Roland's Thompson gun In the muzzle flash Of Roland's Thompson
2: gun Well, and he wrote it uh, In a place called, I think it was called The Dublin Inn in Spain And the owner was a Former mercenary and told him some stories That he used to flesh the, the, the details of the song out so the, the the fact that it was written in Spain noting that there was a huge civil war there in the mid 30s and uh, in, a, in a place called the Dublin Inn and so the song like, like you said Jeffrey has a tremendous Irish protest feel to it it, it has that Irish cadence to the way that it's sung so it, it, it's it is a terrific song, and I I, I love how he pl- plays this little etude before he breaks into it. When he, when he's when he was live in in concert, it was uh, really uh, a, an amazing an amazing experience, and you could tell that he was very proud of this song, that he loved 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 to play this song, and he really enjoyed writing it.
1: He had every right to be proud of this song, and I really want to focus on it because this is as close as you can get to sort of summarizing the greatness of Zevon as a lyricist. What makes me love him, what makes me have like a strong affection for him, and I always will, is he's the guy who could write vicariously like this. Most singer-songwriters are you know, the Jackson Brown, Neil Young type. They're writing about their lives and about the things going on in the world. Meanwhile, Warren Zivon was a singer-songwriter who could write about, you know, you know, psychopaths who, you know, uh, dig up the bodies of their ex girlfriends. <laughs> actually, no, they're murdered girlfriends. Right. That song is a triumph of taste. Or he could write about Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner. But actually, now that I've mentioned it, I, I have. Excitable Boy is a, a splendidly tasteless song. It's certainly one of the most tasteless songs to ever get played, you know, on Saturday Night Live and The Tonight Show and all the various, you know, late night shows. Um, but there's, there's another concept that only Ward can come up with. The way oh uh, that weirdo, they always used to say, oh, he's an excitable boy. And then he just goes way, way, way over the line.
0: You know, uh, building a cage with the bones after 10 years <laughs> the, in prison. Well, just too much. It's too much he, for you.
1: Like, first, you know, first, he kills his girlfriend. He takes him out on a date, takes her to prom, if I recall, then kills her, drives her home. Well, rapes, rapes, take,
0: rapes was, then kills, oh, then oh, takes so, her home.
1: Yeah. Yes, this is, as I said, this song is a triumph of taste. Uh, and then 10 years later, after getting out of jail, digs at the body, it builds a cage out of the bones. And I will never live down the fact that I'm laughing while describing this. He took little Susie to the junior home.
3: Ten long years they let him out of the home Excitable Ooh, boy, they all said boy. And he dug up her grave and filled a cage with her bones Excitable Ooh, boy, they all said excitable boy. Well, he's just an excitable boy
1: the Warren Zivantra
0: and be, he gets you to laugh at that and because it's set to such a classic pop song I mean the the, the, the melodies and the the, the the big sax solo the bouncy pop the the, the backing vocals wow ooh, ah, ooh, that's Linda Ronstadt and Jennifer Warnes it all sets you up for something and of course the lyrics are something completely different but you can't you, you can't fault people for sort of uh be, falling under the spell of that song without even hearing the lyrics, perhaps, because it's such a wonderfully crafted pop song.
1: Hey, Bruce, in 1978, the only song that the the hit bands could talk about was Werewolves of London. And I'm not even kidding about that. The Grateful Dead, who never played anybody's music, that was a contemporary, they didn't do contemporary covers. Even they were covering Werewolves of London in 1978 as part of their encores. That's how ubiquitous this song was among Hit people and cool people. It's the most talked about Warren Zevon song for a lot of people. It's the only one of his they will ever know. I'm throwing the football to you to handle his most famous track.
2: Oh boy! Well, I, I I like the the piss take that he does on this when he was on the Larry Sanders show. He said he would perform any song, but that one, he would not do. Werewolves of London. And Gary Shandling sets him up because he doesn't want to bring John Ritter out. So he <laughs> wants to extend his performance. And so he said, Hey, why don't you do one more song? And he was like, well, okay. Hey, I got a great idea. Why don't you do werewolves of London? So Zivon is kind of locked into performing the song against <laughs> his, his will. So yeah, it, that became a, uh, an albatross around his neck, I think where he felt like he always had to perform that song, which is unfortunate, uh, is like watching Van Morrison when he is performing live, people will be screaming moon dance from the minute he walks out on stage. And finally he'll just do this rote delivery of it. And apparently it's not that easy of a song to perform. I'm, I'm not much of a technical musician at all, but I understand that it, it's somewhat difficult to actually get that riff down and, and, and pull it off appropriately. But, um,
1: wasn't an easy song to record either. I think he spent like tons of money to get that in the studio. And they eventually just had to, you know, throw their hands up and, and recruit ringers. Uh, this is, by the way, a band that was already ringers. It was already L.A. ringers. And they said, screw it. So they brought in Fleetwood Mac. That's Mick <laughs> Fleetwood and John McVee. Yeah, you know, right. two people who have a lot of experience with uh, alcohol abuse, incidentally, who are playing on that song. And I only learned this fact a week ago after having known that song for you know, decades.
0: And that's why that song swings the way it does. That rhythm section is just airtight. And look, lyrically, there are so many little sections from here, but I have, it is one of my favorite wordplay um, lines just ever. The, the you know, little old lady got mutilated late last night. The alliteration, the care, the delivery of that line is absolutely perfect. And it's just one of what? a half dozen, eight, nine different ones you could sort of pluck out. Uh, the, the hairy-headed gent who ran amok in Kent. That's a great line. <laughs> They're all over the place in <laughs> Werewolves of London.
3: You howling around your kitchen door You better not let him in Little old lady got mutilated late last night Werewolves of London again
1: I mean, there are lines that have become iconic lines. Everybody knows, like, I, I saw a werewolf of Trader Vicks yes. and his hair was perfect, yes. right? I, also, I almost just said Trader Joe's, which is, of course, that's, that's modern culture. That's
0: rewriting it for 2021.
1: Exactly. Rewriting it for the modern kids these days. But, you know, I think the entire vocal performance is a marvel. I mean, it sounds like he's growling it yes, out, like... Yes. He sounds like a wolf, you know, when he obviously when he does the owl, woo, but when he's, as you said, like, little old lady I mutilated last night, I mean, he, he sounds like Howlin' Wolf, which is exactly what he's going for. You can hear the, you can hear the bourbon in his voice, and, uh, you know, speaking of uh, bourbon in his voice, I will bet dollars to donuts uh, that Warren Zivon was drunk as a skunk when he recorded his vocal for Lawyers, Guns, and Money, which I think for my money is his single greatest song. It's a song that ends this album. And again, I don't know how we could have talked about all this music and you're calling this a disappointment. I think it is just <laughs> not a disappointing album. It is so it is so overrated now that it has become underrated once again. Um, but Lawyer's Guns and Money, where he goes home with a waitress. And of course, the way they always do, he's a Russian. And now the CIA is after him. The cartels are after him. You know, who knows who he pissed off? He was gambling in Havana. He took a little risk. All you need to know is that he is sold up in Central America, and he's calling dad. He needs his rich daddy to come bail <laughs> him out. Send lawyers guns and money. The shit has hit the fan. One of my all-time favorite lines. I've used that in conversation eh, solid 500 times over the past 30 years. And that's actually a lot if you think about it. That Breach. comes up. All the time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Preach it. It's a it's a it's an amazing song. Uh, m- my personal anecdote is I went on a. You
0: were uh, in Havana,
2: and uh, well, no, I, I I went on a <laughs> hayride with the uh, with the former girlfriend, and there was a guy who was basically trying to steal her affections away from me. And tall, good-looking guy, and I'm a short, well, long-haired leaping gnome. And she, uh, he pulls out his guitar and he starts singing some church song. And she said, well, Bruce, you play guitar. And, um, I said, yeah, but not very well. And she said, well, play something. I said, well, I don't really know a whole lot of songs. And she said, well, come on, come on. And the guy's like, yeah, come on, you know, (laughs) show, show her what a loser you are. (laughs) So I take the guitar. and it's like, I went home with the waitress and, um, it was kind of shocking for the church crowd, but um, <laughs> hey, I had fun.
3: I'm the innocent bystander. Somehow I got stuck between the rock and the hard place. And I'm down on my lap. Yes, I'm down. I'm a desperate man Send lawyers, guns and money This shit has hit the fan
4: I
1: really, I really, I really uh, would have loved to see how they reacted when you got to the, you know, the chorus there, um, but yeah, the song is so great as it's, it's just this stomp, you know. As I said, you know, Chris Gayle kind of had uh, Zivon's number really early on. He says, "Yeah, he, he doesn't quite know how to rock," which is, you know, he came from a classical upbringing. It probably explains it. And his idea of rocking is just that pound. But man, what an right, effective That is so powerful, Scott.
0: All right, you may have convinced me that it's a it's a pretty good album, I suppose. <laughs> but Finally? but but someone else is going to have to do the convincing on this next one. We've got uh, we've got another two years between albums here, and 1980 comes. Uh, well, one well, by th- the way, two
1: years ahead. and an intervention in mm-hmm. between. It's basically, all of Los Angeles' most famous musicians staged an intervention for Zivon, who at that point was falling down drunk. He had this great hit with excitable boy. He can't even tour it successfully because he can't stay upright. Well, And he's he just, alludes
0: to this way back on the first album, on the French inhaler. Where get, I drink up all the money with these phonies in this Hollywood bar, these friends of mine in this Hollywood bar, right? It's just blowing everything.
1: Just make it a huge disaster, but he's finally clean. All right, they force an intervention. He's clean. He's sober. Well, isn't that an auspicious thing? Got to get him into the studio. They record a new album. Springsteen shows up with the song. They co-write together. uh, And then you get bad luck in dancing. Bad luck streak in dancing school. Uh, This is the second Warren Zevon album I ever bought. I had high hopes after Excitable Boy. I personally was very disappointed. Uh, It seems like you agree with me, Scott.
0: I do agree with you, in fact. This is, um, it's, it seems like on this, uh, here's how I would describe it. There are a number of big swings that don't quite connect in a number of places. Uh, something like play it all night long. I, I understand what he was trying to do, and I, but I don't think he pulls it off as well as he thinks he does. There are uh, uh, jungle work, right? Jungle work is terrible song. terrible terrible song. and even lyrically it's it's like some of the the material on roland right it's just it's this mercenary it's sort of thuds and plods okay.
1: here's the thing this the song when i first heard it when i was a kid was so bad that it actually made me pay attention to the lyrics even as like a 14 year old i had that analytical framework that heuristic there in place where i was like If this music is purposely so unlistenable, then maybe they're making a (laughs) point, and I should examine the lyrics to find out what that point might be. But no such luck, because you're right—it's just a retread of stuff that he had already gone and said on on the prior album. So, yeah, it's—it is the first example, the first track actually in his entire career that is a complete failure.
3: truck with a little M10 seven running to the huts a few young men a few who dare to battle in hell mercenaries
4: I, I
0: think Bruce might disagree because he likes these kind of Zvon tunes, but I think empty-handed heart is one of the worst of the kind uh, it's not, or at least it's not effective it's not one of his great sort of slow hard yeah. on the sleeve sort of songs um even at the end, I mean like bed of Coles is 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 decent, but that, that that's all it is It's a nice pedal steel part from Ben Keith. My favorite song on this is the title track. It's the very first song, Bad Luck Streakin' Dancing School, which to me sounds almost Devo-esque in the way it has these sort of robotic start-stop guitar riffs uh, over, over a set of lyrics, and uh, I, I do dig that. I think that worked well. Bad
3: Luck Streakin' Dancing School Down on my knees in pain I've been acting like a fool Oh, Dina, I swear I'll change in pain. down on my knees in pain.
0: rest of this again i would just i would say largely it, it, are, it are these big swings that do not connect and i'm just left very disappointed by this album
2: bruce swing for the fences yourself <laughs> i love this album i i think it's one of his best if not his best and uh I, yesterday when uh, we were passing forth back and forth emails you said that you just hated his version of a certain girl and we're all familiar with the with the Yardbirds version and we we know that it, it, it's a classic and he doesn't do a whole lot of cover songs on his studio albums but i thought he did a a, a swell job on that and uh I, I i'm curious as to hear why why you think it's so bad
3: There's a certain girl I've been in love with A long, long time
1: so unimaginative. That's the thing that bothers me about it. A man like Warren Zevon should not be settling for merely passable covers. That's what you do when you're acknowledging that you're basically at the end of your creative tether or you're out of gas temporarily, which is what would be the case for Zevon. But, you know, there's no, like, fundamental reimagining of the song. There's nothing new brought to it. It's just the same, same griff, same groove that you would have gotten in 1963 or 4 from the Yardbirds. That's my problem with it. It felt like it was almost insulting to me. I'm listening here for, like, you know, sardonic wit and for, you know, great piano-based music. And then here's this mediocre cover of an old, like, you know, blues rock single from 1964. Ugh, that That's my issue with it.
2: Fair enough. Um, I respectfully disagree. I think that it, it's, you know, sometimes you just want to do a straight ahead cover. Uh, not everybody wants to do a 15-minute cover or a van morrison's gloria they just want to do a repeat of you know like patty smith did maybe they just want to do uh, the shadows of night version of gloria which is you know three and a half minutes or two and a half minutes or whatever so uh i i think he does a, a fine job on it and quite frankly it was it's not the greatest song on the world, but it's something that's in in his wheelhouse. It's almost like him doing uh, Bo Diddley's "A Gunslinger" on "Stand in the Fire," and uh, that which is more or less a straight ahead cover of that song as well. But he he does a a pretty fine job of it.
1: Well, what else on this record speaks to you so much? Because I'll be honest and say I find there are things that I like on here. Like I like "Genie Needs a Shooter." It's a passable song, but it's not a very substantial song. It feels like sort of like that toss off from Springsteen and from Zevon that it is. Uh, "Gorilla" or "Desperado." I already talked about how I. I, It's actually (laughs) a funny little conceit, but then those Eagles harmonies come in, and I just want to start, you know, hurting
2: people. (laughs) I think my favorite song of this album could have been worse. It could have been worse, Jeffrey. It it could have been Nash and Crosby doing the. Harmony vocals on that. Okay. Well, here's
1: the funny thing. I actually don't mind Nash and Crosby. I'm actually not a not I a, I don't have a big problem with the CSN vocal sound. As you might know, we just did a three parter on Neil Young, so it came up a lot. Uh, the things that actually I expected to be failures on this record that aren't are like the interludes, the st- little string interludes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they work. They work. They're fine. They're very. They're pretty. They don't really do anything one way or another. Uh, I think my favorite song on this record actually is probably Bill Lee. Which is a a very, it's a weird fragment. It's just this weird, and it is kind of brings into focus for me how confused these sessions must have been because it's like a minute and a half. It sounds like a song that didn't quite come together or didn't make it, but the fragment is really moving. I, I think for some reason it's about the, the pitcher, Bill Lee. I don't know how it is. Bill Spaceman Lee he was a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox who was famous for pitching a no-hitter on acid. He was tripping on LSD and he he, he was also perfect on the mound, but the lyric is something that will stick with you, which is a quote of his, I think, where he says, you're supposed to sit on your ass and nod at stupid things. Man, that's hard to do. But if you don't, they'll screw you. And if you do, they'll screw you too. Which is both a Bill Lee sentiment, but also a very Warren Warren Zeebond-esque sentiment as well. You're supposed to sit
3: on your ass and nod at stupid things. Man, it's hard to do. But if you say things i shouldn't like
4: and
2: i, I couldn't agree with you more i think I it it's a uh, it's a terrific song Of uh, it you you can't add to it you can't make it longer you cannot pad this out this is not something that uh, you go to a Z Bond concert and you just say oh boy i hope it, he opens with Bill Lee or he comes back from an encore and he does Bill Lee because, frankly, that's just not going to happen because there's really a lot of there there. But it's essentially said in 35 seconds.
1: I just don't see a lot else on this record to cling to. A Bed of Coals and Wild Age seem to be sort of you know, yeah. substandard songs. Yeah. But they don't do anything. We play it all night long. I, I I kind of agree with Scott. The first time I heard it when I was, I think I hated it when I was younger. I came back to it again recently, and I just, same idea. I same ideas. Like, yeah, I see what he's going for here. It's it's. <laughs> this is what the best I can say about it is that it's far more offensive at first than it is if you let it play on. Right. Like the, when it comes in, it actually seems like aggressively weird and just like, you know, discomforting, and then you understand the groove that he's trying to get. But you're right, there's just something a little bit forced and stiff about it, my opinion. I'm
3: going down to the Dewdrop drop in. See if I can drink enough. There ain't much to country living. Sweat, piss, jeers, and blood. Sweet home Alabama, play that dead band song. Turn those speakers up full blast. Play it all night long. Sweet home Alabama, play that dead band song. Turn those speakers up full blast. Play it all night long.
1: Yeah! Any final thoughts, Scott, for you or... Do you have anything else you'd like to say?
0: Bruce, I, I've exhausted my thoughts on Bad Luck Streak.
1: Because I think things are about to get a lot better for him. I know Scott doesn't like live albums, so again, he did that really dumb thing he does where he doesn't pay much attention to the obligatory live stuff that the artists we cover.
0: It's true. But... I also know that I knew that Bruce loved it, so he would carry the conversation.
1: Well, Bruce is right about Stand in the Fire. It is a magnificent album. I have the... CD version, which has bonus tracks. It has like four extra songs tacked onto it. But any version you get, whether it's my version or it's the one that ends with him playing Bo Diddley as a gunslinger, which is just such a ridiculous concept, which is why he enjoys playing the song, you know, Imagine Bo Diddley with a big 10 gallon hat, you know, and, you know, the pistols drawn at dawn. Yeah. Um, you know, there are different kinds of guns. I think they were probably referring to a guitar in that case. But man, the energy that he brings to these live performances is amazing. And I have to salute the song selection as well. They cut out the slow slop, it's just the rock, it's just the up tempo stuff. And that's exactly what I want to hear from Zivan.
3: was cold and raining down by the border borderline. I was riding hard to meet her when a shot rang out behind her. Lay there in the darkness with a pistol by
2: Seriously, it, it, it is the most high-energy live album since Full House by Jay Giles. The the band he had was, you know, like he says in the song Stand in the Fire, their guitar player is smoking hot, and uh, the rest of the boys just do a remarkable job of just burning down the house.
1: Excitable th- th- boys. Th- th-
2: this is all from the the, the the Roxy in L.A., so it's got this really nice club feel to it. And it's just one of those things where you, it, it makes it, you feel like you have a front row seat to one of the best rock shows ever.
1: Yeah. Genie needs a shooter just to do a thing for me on the album. It works really well here live. And excitable boy. The, the, the way they just turned the play out of that song and it's just giant like guitar and piano extravaganza gosh I didn't know that thing had it in it and, and that's 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 the wonderful thing about listening to them come alive this is again when he's clean and sober so he's probably got a lot more energy than he might otherwise later on in his career I know, Scott, did you ever actually listen to this album? I, I heard a little, little bits, But you don't have any strong opinions Do on not, it? Do not, no. Well, I think what you probably will have a strong opinion on is Zivon's next album. It's sort of the last album of his for like a long period of time. Uh, this is The Envoy. This is an album I just never hear people talk about. When they talk about Zivon, i will talk about some of his later stuff. They'll talk about his earlier classics. Nobody ever talks about The Envoy. This is a very strong claim to being his best album. I don't actually think there's a bad song on it.
0: The one that comes closest is The Overdraft. I don't love The Overdraft, which is the second song on the album. I that's a
1: fun song. I like that a lot. There you go.
0: But I am going to make the argument, uh, and I don't know if Jeff will follow. We'll see. But I do think, I mean, I really do think this is his best album. I think The Envoy's his best album. And it's weird because it uh, didn't sell for anything. It, uh, it it wasn't strong commercially. Didn't spin off hit singles. Wasn't available on CD until like twenty oh seven. Some I mean you know it was, you couldn't find it anywhere for years and years and years, and um and yet and yet I, I from the first time I listened to it, I came away thinking, man, that is that's probably his strongest set of songs uh, on any album that he's produced. And what I like about it is. Each song has its own personality. Each one is distinctive. There's a variety of arrangements that all work very well on this album.
1: It's sort of making the best of his chief weakness, as I talked about earlier, that he doesn't have sort of a unified musical sound because he's always playing with these studio pros. So instead, how about just make each Individual song, uh, like a little wonderful piece, yeah, that just stands on its own merits, and that's what happens.
0: Here. And it's 1982, and so you begin to worry about production ticks, and I don't think eh. there, are, I don't think they're a problem here. I, I, nope. I it sort of it combines that that polished uh, West Coast studio sound from the early albums with a bit of a harder edge on some songs. And but
1: there are no synths but, or but, like well, you know, there bad drum sounds.
0: But right, there are synths, but I think they're used brilliantly. There are a few places here huh. where. Uh, like uh, there's uh, ain't that pretty at all. Where the synths come in, like almost okay. like emergency siren sort of synths, adding to the to the feel of that song. There are okay, you know
1: why th- I forgot about that because that's almost like a hard rock play. For yes. me, that's not even yeah. The, yes. the, those aren't glossy synths.
0: Right. No, the, they're not glossy. They're just they're, they're used very tastefully and they're used in ways that really complement the songs. I re- I love the way that he used the, the synths on. The Envoy. Uh, and again, I think top to bottom, these, this is a, a really strong set of, of, of songs. Uh, let Nothing Come Between You uh, is one of those songs that appear to be sincere and I think is sincere. You're never quite sure with Zivon, but I, I think so. Uh, wonderful set of lyrics. There, there are, I, I, I love that. There are frustrated people in town who might envy us and try to bring us down. We know they don't really mean any harm. That doesn't mean we got to uh, let them hang around. I, uh, 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 I I had talked, I talked to people years ago about how, like, it's weird how like hanging around divorced people ends up with more divorces. I don't know if, I don't know if there's something (laughs) statistical about that, but my wife and I would notice that the more that our friends who were married hung out with divorced people, the more they ended up divorced, right? It was, it was just weird. Uh, and, and, you know, there are a lot of complications there too, but that's what I get from that. And there's a, there's a, I was just uh, talking to someone this week about, Rush Limbaugh and uh, he, he on a show in 2013 he went on this long riff about being in the radio business and how it's really easy to be seduced by people who have failed because you can commiserate about your failure like yeah the, that business stinks they didn't want me and they don't want you it's tougher to sort of be on your own and, and sort of have this vision of success and carry it through and sort of not listen to that noise and that's exactly what I get that's why I love that, that, that lyric
4: so much
3: Got the license Got the ring a blood, never and everything Putting on my booty It's favorite flower And I'm walking to the altar And I'm gonna take the vow Don't let nothing come between us Don't let nothing come between us Frustrated people in town Who might envy us and want to bring us down I also like the
4: singing
1: it. on that song
4: a lot. Yes, this is the
1: point yes. where he sounds like... Okay, when when Warren Zevon is singing in his ballad mode, uh, this is something that's always unnerved me. My dad was a huge Gordon Lightfoot fan growing up, so Gordon's gold was never far from the car CD player in my youth. And when Zevon sings... Let Nothing Come Between You, he sounds exactly like Lightfoot. There are so many moments throughout Zivon's career where he just gets down. And he's just singing pretty and melodically, not the drunken shouting on yeah, something like I'll yeah. sleep when I'm dead. But on, Let Nothing Come Between You, he sounds just like Gord. And it's, it does. It has that sort of light folk touch to it as well. It's such a beautiful song, and it, it's so placid and peaceful that, of course, that that raises your alarms, right? Yes, and so
0: that that comes directly next is, I think, ain't that pretty at all. Which ain't that which pretty is why at all. Ain't that pretty at all.
1: all? Hey, listen, you know, when in Paris, do not take tourism advice from Warren
4: Buffett. <laughs> do not.
1: I repeat, do not. Go to the Louvre and hurl yourself at the walls. The police there have been on edge recently. They will not react kindly to this. Can we talk about Ain't That Pretty at All? What an yes.
2: amazing –
1: Bruce, yes. I just – I just, listen, this is this Zeevon is and it's most sort of like atavistic. I just want to bash myself up against the wall, and I get it. I get that impulse.
2: Absolutely. I was uh, – turned on to the song when I saw him live at Park West when he toured for this album and he, it was so electric, the performance and he was stone cold sober, even though he would be on David Letterman and David Letterman would kind of try to get him to, would make jokes about how much his alcohol intake was prior to the intervention, which is something you probably don't want to do with a recovering alcoholic. It's trying to define them by, the copious amounts of alcohol that they've consumed when they were still drinking but anyway he he got up on this on the stage at, at park west and the band is just tight they are just rocking so hard and he he would just stop and he would say scream john belushi and he would punch his arm like he was injecting himself with a syringe and then the lights would flash out and then turn back on and he'd be on the floor in a fetal position with the microphone next to his face and everything would be stone cold, silent. <laughs> and then he would say, ain't that pretty at all. And he just go, wow. And then he'd get up and they'd just start jamming it again. And then he'd, then he'd scream, Jim Morrison, lights would go out and he'd be on the ground again. Ain't that pretty at all. And just, okay. You can sit there and you can glorify these people and their their, their party-hardy attitude and their party-hardy lifestyle. It will catch up to you. And he knew it would catch up to him. And more or less, it eventually did.
3: You know, I just had a short vacation, Roy. The wall as hard
2: as I can, man. So uh, when when he returned to drinking uh, in the later stage of his life. But it, it's an amazing song.
1: I tell you, if I had been alive, or at least, you know, of, of age in 1982, I know where I would have been Sundays at nine on ABC. And that is watching... <laughs> America's most recent primetime hit, The Envoy. I love that song. That song is the theme to a TV series that should have been prestige drama from the early 80s. Opposite Hill Street Blues, there's The Envoy. He travels across the world solving problems for high-level government officials. I love this <laughs> song. Where did he get the idea to write this song? Actually, Bruce, you said like, it was clearly based on what Jimmy Carter's Envoy. Yeah, Who Philippa Beeb. Philippa Habib. Okay, yes. I didn't know that factoid. All I knew is that here's this international man of mystery, and why did Zivon get the idea? Just write a totally straight take on it. Like here's he is, you know, he's flying to he's flying into Syria or something like that. You know, he's negotiating with the Iraqis and things like that. Gotta send the envoy. What a like a nifty idea for a song. And uh, what a great execution, right up right up to that great 19 early 1980s guitar solo, which is very metalish, as is a pop metal guitar solo, but it works so well. I love that track so much. Nuclear
3: arms in the middle. Wheels attacking the Iraqis. The Syrians are mad at the Lebanese, and Baghdad does whatever she please. Looks like another threat to world.
1: What were, I knew you were talking about this one with me earlier
0: yeah the envoy is a great track and it does it does sort of begin the album on the sort of loud cacophonous turbocharged and it continues into the overdraft too, which you like a little bit more than I do but uh, it, it's a great way to start the album and yes there's the intrigue, and there's talk about what the Baghdad will do whatever the hell she pleases and the Syrians are mad at the Lebanese and uh, Damascus and Jerusalem and all that it's all in the envoy and um, I don't know uh, the the Hula Hula Boys, which is smack dab. Uh, is the next song. It's the third song of the album.
1: I should hate that song, but I don't.
0: Uh, I was going to say that. I, that's this kind of song where we think people would point and say, "Yeah, what the heck did he do there?" Uh, in a story that will please perhaps one of our listeners, and that's our friend Carl. Um, I knew about the Hula Hula Boys before I knew about uh, knew a lot more about Zivon because uh, famed uh, Chicago radio host Steve Dahl was a big Hawaiian music fan. And he put out a couple of albums with original music and a couple of covers. He covered uh, Ride the Wild Surf from the Beach Boys and a few others. And he covered... Jan and Dean. I'm sorry? Jan and Dean. Yeah, yes. And he covered um, uh, Hula Hula Boys from Warren Zevon. And um, I, I, I think it's a really well-written song, but that's just a crazy good melody in the
4: chorus.
3: Yesterday she went to see the car. clothes all filled with sand I didn't have to come to Maui to be treated like a jerk How do you think I'd feel when I see the bellboys smirk And I can hear their ukuleles play down by the sea She's gone with the hula hula boys, she don't about me, I, I,
0: I liked it. I like the cover of it, but his version is actually even better, of course. It's his song. Uh, a nice set of lyrics there. Jesus mentioned is one of a couple of songs he'd write about Elvis and sort of the sad life and death of Elvis. when walking on the water with his pills. That's got a slow burn to it. It's a nice contrast with some of the harder, edgier songs on this record. Um, it, it, you know, Bruce Love's sort of Warren and Crooner mode. I think "Never Too Late for Love" is one of his really good efforts in that in that uh, in that little window there. And then uh, there's a song, I think uh, you guys were talking about Charlie's Medicine, which is another yeah, that's, fantastic that's song. Warren in
1: Doom mode. And yeah. That's a
4: great one.
1: I mean, <clears throat> that one, again, has a very kind of a strange art rock guitar break in the middle of it, comes out of nowhere. Uh, but again, the, you get such a weird fusion of sounds because he sings the, the, the chorus of that song, which is about, I believe, like a drug dealer who is like. His, his drug dealer. Yeah. His, his drug, drug dealer. Yeah. Right. And. Uh, <laughs> tells you all you need to know about his you know, lifestyle choices and things like that. but uh, And all of a sudden he starts singing it again. He just sounds like Gordon Lightfoot singing a song about a guy who sells heroin and coke. It's just a strange curate's egg of a song. Charlie
3: Delfty Vaughn pharmaceuticals he sold those expensive drugs I gave Charlie home. Take his medicine Charlie got his prescription filled I came to say goodbye I'm sorry Charlie died I came to finish paying my bill
1: I came to finish paying my bill I listen to it, and I love it, and I also understand. He was very disappointed by the commercial reception of this album. Yep. He, he, had, he had a lot of faith in it because these are just so many. There's like 10 fantastic songs here, and he releases it, and it goes absolutely nowhere. Nothing Come Between You was like a minor radio hit, but it wasn't like, you know, didn't have any big commercial success. Uh, and so he was just so disillusioned and disgruntled with the reception to this that he essentially – kind of quit for the next five years now i don't know like his full story i should have probably read the book that his ex-wife wrote but like what was he doing between 1982 and 1987 drinking was, just drinking no sit down strike or anything like that
2: no he was drinking it it was um pretty harrowing according to uh the book by his ex-wife so he was uh uh, uh Leapfrogging from girlfriend to girlfriend, uh, ignoring his kids, and uh, drinking and then drinking some more, and yeah. dabbling in smack. and Yeah, it, it, it ain't that pretty at all.
1: But he finally gets it back together because, boy, I, again, I don't know the story of how they met. But the last group in the planet that you would expect <laughs> to want to collaborate with Warren Zevon literally records their entire next album with them. Uh, and that is R.E.M. Yes, R.E.M., document-era R.E.M. So this is 1987. Maybe they just thought it would be a great chance to you know, lift old Warren out of the doldrums and get his mind off of the drinking. Or maybe there was something else at play, again, not having the backstory in place. New manager. All... New manager? Well, new manager <laughs> probably realized that Peter Buck has always been a traditionalist at heart. And so you got... Pete Buck, Bill Barry, and uh, Mike Mills backing up Warren Zevon. How can this fail? And the answer is it can't really. So Sentimental Hygiene is a pretty great album. And I think it's one of his best later era albums as well. My main criticism of it is that it's a little lightweight, particularly for a comeback album, uh, and also that the last song is just absolute yes. agonizing trash. Leave My Monkey Alone it's bad. is one more. Oh, it's not just bad. It's offensively bad. It's so repetitive that it almost seems like the whole point of it is to get under your skin and just drive you up a wall. With if, if so, then well done, my friends. You succeeded. I hate that song, <laughs> but I like almost everything else here. And I really like songs like "Trouble Waiting to Happen," which is basically him. I mean, almost valorizing himself, where he says, "Like you know, I read a lot of stories about the things I did. It sounded like a lot of fun." You know reconsider me this is getting him in his sort of naked confessional mode uh kind of a cycle with him is the you know he screws up, he comes back begging for forgiveness, he's good for a while, and then he screws up again, and that's where song like reconsider me comes from. but what do you guys think of uh r e m of all people back it up um Warren Zevon? It's
0: a really good album. It's not quite uh, I think the best of sort of this the second stage second third stage of his career. But it's good, and you certainly can tell the influence of Barry and Mills and Buck on these songs. You know, there is some, some of that... Uh, it, it doesn't shows up sound in, 80s, which is great. It, that's correct. Having aria yes. there
1: means that the music has aged well.
0: Yes, and there's always been, here and there, if you know where to look, this sort of jingle-pop love from Zivon. It'll just pop up here and there, and so it's unsurprising, I guess, that those guys would play with him a little bit, and... Uh, you know, Petty would guest later. Mike Campbell guessed it on a bunch of his songs. There's a song we'll get to later on that's that's very much a Birdsey, you know, Tom Petty sort of homage, I, I, I think. And so the, the they work they work well together. This is a solid set of songs. I don't think it's quite as good as the Envoy in terms of the songwriting, but it's good. And uh, I, I I had tweeted this, and we're getting a, almost to the end of the era where this is the case, but. For a lot of these Warren Zevon albums, it's like a a mini "We Are the World" experiment, in which you listen to hear all the places the uh, the greatest California musicians and the, the and the very best uh, session pros help out. Where are they? You know, oh, it's Bonnie Raitt, it's Linda Ronstadt, it's. Don Henley and Glenn, Glenn Fry and it's Jackson Brown, and it's... Here's uh,
1: Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Lindsay Nicks.
0: Lindsey Buckingham and Jerry Garcia and Stevie Nicks, and all. And this album features Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He plays, and Brian Setzer plays. And the, the first uh, title track features a guy you may have heard of, Neil Young. And there's a song, in The Factory, that another guy you may have heard of, Bob Dylan. They all make appearances here on Sentimental Hygiene. And I think both those songs are really good. Uh, Sentimental Hygiene has a, a, a classic... Neil Young solo in it uh, The Factory features Dylan on, on Harmonica The Factory's a little weird in that it's uh, <laughs> it Feels it's like a Bruce Springsteen That's right, attack, that's it? what I was going to say It's, it's, it's Warren Zevon doing Heartland Rock It's Warren Zevon, if he were John Mellencamp Writing some lyrics, yeah, I went, worked at the factory Took my dad's job, built some cars, built a lot of
1: stuff well, I mean, it's a total. It's clearly a response to the song "Factory" from well, "Darkness on the Edge of Town." Yeah, you know, the work, uh work. It's just the work in life. Man goes to work in a factory. You know, that that sort of, you know, the stuff about Springsteen that's easy to parody. That like, you know, like, oh, it's a hard working life here for an honest <laughs> man out
2: in the Midwest.
1: That, that kind <laughs> well, of thing.
2: I mean, got, got I, to that, that's little... perfect, Jeffrey. That's yeah. absolutely perfect I mean, because he, he's he's actually cocking a snook. At all of this, you know, downhearted, downtrodden, right. uh, middle America factory, Billy Joel, Allentown, and uh John Mellencamp that, oh, we, you know, I live in the Midwest. My my father was a factory worker, was a pipe fitter. And uh Zebon comes out and he turns it into this rollicking, rocking number where, yeah, we're all working in the factory, baby. It's great. Yeah. That, that's that's how we that's how we get our drink on.
1: <laughs> said, we're working in the factory. Don't you wish you were us.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: That, that's what's fun about it. it. It totally inverts the whole mopey misery thing. it's just like, hey, you know what? I got a union job. Nice. But I mean it's all again, cocking a snook is a great way of putting it. I was born in Mechanics
3: Bird. My daddy was the potty act he got hurt. Now he's on disability. Uh-huh.
1: I, what, I, I interrupted interrupt No, no, you didn't. You
0: interrupted well, me. <laughs> uh,
1: well, you know what? You guys are all the same to me. Uh, it's <laughs> like a little juggernaut rolling on.
0: I mentioned, I mentioned two more things that I'll hand it off to, to Bruce. One is uh, uh, Reconsider Me, which is a, another Zivon song that I heard from someone else first. I heard Stephen X version first. Of uh, Reconsider Me, which uh, which which she put out. And I, I this is one where I think her version is better. Uh, I'm not a giant fan of Reconsider Me here on Sentimental, Sentimental Hygiene, but it's such a well-written song that I think Stevie Nicks turns into something very nice when she does it by herself. And I think perhaps my favorite song of this album is, is Boom Boom Mancini. Um, <laughs> and it's one of my favorites in his catalog. Um, that kick drum sound from Bill Berry is massive. It's just awesome. I love it. Uh, there's a great piano part late, and, you know, it's about uh, you know, Bombo Mancini, Ray Mancini, and his boxing career, and it talks about, um, you know, he, he was tough, and he was back in the ring six weeks after, you know, getting the tar kicked out of him, and it sort of forgives him for killing a guy in the ring, but it has one of the, one of the you know, classic sort of Zivon... Uh, you know pearls of wisdom pearls of life which is the name of the game is to be hit and hit back. hit back you're gonna take your blows there's gonna be bad times you're gonna fall off the wagon you're gonna drink yourself silly all right get up try again and, and do it and uh, and I love that part of that song too it's a great song and again a great lyric from from uh, from debo.
3: Judgment.
2: it's so it's almost like a metaphor for the, the rock lifestyle, yeah, yeah, and uh I, no i I was going to bring boom boom man singing up to you because i I just think that is just an amazing tune, and there there's a just a great selection of songs and i I have to agree with you it never occurred to me until you brought it up that reconsider me for as great of a song it is, it's out of place on this album,
4: hmm.
2: and it 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 would have been better served later on on uh, a subsequent release yeah perhaps on mutineer because mutineer could have used some better songs <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay so that's so true. who wore the beat better detox mansion or finest work song by rem because what i just realized and i only re- i really only come to this album very recently and i listened to the beat you know the that i was like wait that's finest work song and of course these two albums were recorded simultaneously i think in the same studios like REM was recording *Document* at the same time that they were recording *Sentimental Hygiene* with Warren Zevon, and uh, I believe they were recording in Athens. And uh, I've always wondered which one was stolen from which. I like *Detox <laughs> Mansion*. It's pretty good. It's you know standard rehab story, but with the typical Warren Warren you know gimlet eye approach. <laughs> Really like about sort of the the press world or like you know, the rock star lifestyle is Even a dog can shake yeah, hands. Yeah, that's a yes. good one. What were you going to say about it, Scott?
0: Well, that's, it's that... for, for, it's a great it's a great song, right? Uh, melodically and musically, but then also lyrically, it's just so much fun. It really is yeah. so much fun. Um, what he he wants twenty percent because he knew uh, knew you back when <laughs> knew you way back when way back when. Now they all want a piece uh, of the band. Um, you know, Sign Page 42 will do the rest for you. Uh, there's so many you sort of inside, agent, lawyerly, business, uh, music scene sort of jokes through here. It's uh, it's a nice, you know, we haven't, uh, well, it's, it was five years since his last album. But uh, it is one of those good narrative, sort of l- literary narrative songs that Zivon is very well capable of.
3: For the fans, everybody's trying to be a friend of
4: mine.
3: Even the
2: sure, it's his version of Have a Cigar by Pink Floyd, and uh, which could be a nice segue into his next album where David Gilmore actually guest stars.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, Transverse City, his next album. Is I think that moment that Scott thinks of as being like part of like, what makes Zevon frustrating as an artist, because it doesn't sound like really anything like sentimental hygiene for one, because it's a different bands, so it's going to be a different feeling to the songs, and two, it's also not that good. <laughs> um, it's definitely the best cover in the Warren Zevon catalog. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, but when you get to the music itself, I don't know. I just do not like the way these songs sound. For once, I thought it it's really captured by the bad period production sounds, although I think Run Straight Down remains a great song. But I've never liked this record, and this is one I don't have much to say about.
0: There's not enough Warren here, right? You yeah. hear the, the sort of the clamor and, and the noise of the studio musicians. It's produced very hot, you know, with, with the music track up, up high. And Warren has no opportunity to use his voice to, to sort of vocally... Sort of twist these songs to fit his personality, and even his personality here—it's kind of a—it's well, kind of a concept album, right? About uh, uh, cyberpunk and just, uh, the future, and and uh, right, it just sort of gets gets lost. But the personality that shines through here is not sort of the the normal one either. It's sort of just dour, and all the yeah. songs sound sort of flat. Um, they're just. Um, there's just not a lot. Uh, uh, the Splendid Isolation, that's, that's the one from here I think is, is worthwhile. Michael
3: Jackson in Disneyland Don't have to share it with nobody else Lock the gates, goofy, take my hand And lead me through the world of self
0: There's so much here. I don't even like run straight down too much. The, the, the music is so overbearing at times, and it does not play at all to his vocal strengths. Uh, you know, it, it's many an artist were tripped up by by '80s production. It did not happen on either of the last two albums, what it certainly could have. But it did here, and not David Gilmour or Jerry Garcia or Jack Cassidy from uh, Jefferson Airplane. Or uh,
2: Conan, yeah,
0: yeah, they can't. They can't even do much with this stuff.
2: Well, I, I'm, I'm going to give both of you, fine gentlemen, a little bit of pushback here. I actually hated this album when I first purchased it, when it first came out. And I sold it, bought it again, sold that, bought it again, tried to sell that copy, and no one would take it So uh, until finally I got rid of it at a garage sale. And then I found another copy years later, and I said, well, you know what, I got a complete my, my Zevon collection. So I'll, I'll, I'll purchase this again. And doggone it. if I think, it, you know, it, it's something that you have to live with for a while. It, it's not <laughs> something that is immediately going to grab you on the first five, 10 listens. But uh, once you do, you go, I sort of kind of get what he's doing here. And I really actually enjoy this album quite a bit. And I'm not one to say, oh, well, uh, I really um, dig this album because the guest stars are people that I have all their albums. Uh, Jerry Garcia and uh, David Gilmore are two obvious examples in Jefferson Airplane. But still, you, you listen to it and you say, I, I don't agree with uh, his conclusions to the concepts that he puts out there, but... That's it's very interesting music and it, it's it's pretty compelling if you just give it a chance and live with it for a little bit longer.
1: Well, what I can tell you is what isn't very interesting music, or compelling music to me at least, are the next two albums in Zevon's career. And I
2: think maybe <laughs> Great we should segue. Yeah, <laughs> we should
1: take these two together. This is I in my opinion at least the Nadir. He's not off he's off of major labels. He's releasing on indie labels. Right.
0: They, they they gave him a ton of money to make Transverse City and it was a huge flop, which is one of the reason why he's off a major label at this point.
1: Right. It was a lot of production value put into that too. There's an expensive sounding album, if nothing else. Then you had these two records, Mr. Bad Example, which is nineteen ninety one, and Mutineer from ninety five. I think Mutineer is the worst of the the lesser of the two, but yes. neither of them are very good at all. I will speak up in favor of one song, which has got to have has got to be one of the best song titles he ever wrote, which is "Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead." Um, I've never been able to fully parse what that song is about. It does sound like you know, uh, know, sort of a very very noirish subject. And in fact, it was turned into this weird, sort of, uh, you know neo noir film called Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead. It was a terrible film in the 90s. This is part mm-hmm. of the, the whole post-pulp fiction boomlet. Um, uh, I like that one song on on uh, the, uh, on the Mr. Bad Example. But God, just everything else here is just lack of inspiration, general lack of ideas. It's not all garbage, but this is his lowest point as far as I'm concerned.
3: I was working on a steak the other day And I saw Waddy in the Rattlesnake Cafe Dressed in black, tossing back a shot of rye
2: Album that that went out of print and has never been brought into print again. Yeah. So I, if you actually look to purchase it on on Amazon, it's not available unless you want to pay like ninety dollars for a copy of the CD. Don't pay ninety dollars for it, people. Do not,
4: do not, <laughs> do not pay ninety
1: dollars for Mister Bad Example. uh it, That would be a bad example. To, you would become Mister Bad Example. <laughs> <laughs> to everyone else in your life, if you were to do that. In fact, that might be the purpose of that. Warren might have left that one there as a trap.
0: Uh, I dismiss Mutineer almost entirely. Um, it's it's badly produced. It's sort of lo-fi, medium, medium-fi. It doesn't fit um, his sound really well. The cover is terrible. It looks like a thousand badly produced submissions we used to get at the radio station in college. Like, yeah, there's me on a lake and some really bad font. Uh, choices that I've made here on my it looks like his
1: last known photograph.
0: It's it's just, it's it's bad. Uh,
1: Whereabouts unknown, Warren Zevon, and the photo on the TV is what you see there. I
0: I think Mr. Bad Example is a little bit better. Um, The title track is the type of track I would have liked to have heard more of. It has a live and loose feel, and Jim Jim Keltner plays on drums, and you you do feel that difference. It kind of swings nicely. Um, And one guest that I, I like on here is Dwight Yoakam. Uh, who does a song called "Heartache Spoken Here," and again, where it's hard to pigeonhole what uh, what Warren Zevon will do at any given time. This is almost like a perfect country song. I, I think of Fountains of Wayne doing uh, "Hung Up on You" on uh, Welcome Interstate Managers. Like who knew they had it in them? Who knew uh, Warren Zevon had this had this country song in him with Dwight Yoakam singing harmony and at a, a pedal steel this this beautiful clean country esque guitar solo. That's a pretty good song. Uh, but, but that comes late on Mr. Bad Example, right Right near things to do in Denver when you're dead, and it's a long slog to get to something that's sort of worthwhile.
3: If you need a helping hand, if you need someone, you can count on me, and I will understand. Heartache spoken here, I know a thing or two about tears so come on down we'll talk about it heartache spoken here well heartache spoken here I know a thing or two about heartbreak
2: and tears so come on down we'll talk about it heartache spoken here I'm 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 just gonna take a pass on talking about either one of these albums because I just really find them to be uh placeholders. It it's okay.
0: There's it a whole I, decade I of placeholders. that's that's
2: working really hard to get me a recording contract and I have to have new material to go out and uh do the live circuit with, but uh there there seems to be a dearth of inspiration.
1: And so that's why I felt it was frankly semi miraculous when out of nowhere, five years later, after he had just disappeared off the face of the earth and I guess everyone just assumed, well, I mean, if they ever thought about Warren Zevon, they now he's probably in a motel room drinking somewhere. Um, out comes Life Will Kill Ya. Uh, this is, uh, I'm not going to call it a miracle. I think Warren Zevon always had a lot of talent as a songwriter, but he's obviously dissipating it in various ways. This one, though, frankly came out of nowhere. Um, I like almost everything here. The wit and the humor of this is so is so bracing. Uh, the titles alone tell you you're in for a good time. For my next trick, I'll need a volunteer. Which uh, is th- th-
0: such a great song. Such a, great a terrific song. song.
1: I was in the house when the house burnt down. It's like a Zen cone of a title. I love it. I had
3: the ship till it all got smoked. I kept the promise till the vow got broke. I had to drink from the loving cup. On the banks till the river rose up I saw the bride in a wedding gown I was in the house when the house burned down
1: Then uh, the immortal, my shits fucked up. I don't even know how we're gonna get through that. Bleep <laughs> <don't> wise, <laughs> you have to bleep both of them. My 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 shits effed up. There, you can only bleep one of them. Uh, <laughs> but it's such a good song. It's the old man going to the doctor, grumbling about uh, like everything isn't working anymore the way it used to. My knees acting up. I can't breathe anymore. Doc, basically, my shit. <laughs> he's so good he's so <laughs> gruff he is so witty well i went to the
3: doctor i said i'm feeling kind of rough let me break it to you, son your shit's fucked up i said my shit's fucked up well i don't see how he said the shit that used to work now
1: this album is a rebirth creatively for him. these next three albums i think are all really good but this is the best of them life will kill you Is that late period ward zevon that you go to if you want to find out why people said man he still had it all the way to the end
0: life will kill you is uh one of his best it is absolutely one of his best and the other thing about it is uh, and we'll, t- we'll talk about this in a second. I think it's the album that people think the wind is. Meaning, this is an album about getting old and, and yes! going to the doctor, yeah. and maybe things are coming to an end. And uh, you know, don't let us get sick is the final song. This is the album I think people think the wind is. Um, but it's it's great. And, and and Jeff said this it's not really a bad song here. And again, with Zevon, you're always kind. It's not it's a crapshoot necessarily, but you're always kind of wondering if you're going to get that solid. Uh, a solid uh, run of songs because there are so many influences, he can do so many things, but yeah, just about every song on Life Will Kill You is really good, and what returns here that I didn't hear much in the past, really, three albums, uh, going back to uh, Sentimental Hygiene, is how he uses his voice. Uh, that's always been a great instrument of his, and it was buried and not used well in the last couple of outings, but it returns here, and as Jeff's talking and I'm thinking about these songs, I would love to talk to uh, Brian Henneman for the Bottle Rockets because a lot of his delivery seems borrowed or at least influenced by z Even some of his songwriting, now that I'm thinking about it as we talk about all these songs, seems to be somewhat influenced by z That could, be, could, it be a, could have been a heavier influence on the Bottle Rockets than I, than I thought. Uh, but this, yes, uh, aging and health concerns and getting older... And again, this is one of those albums where he's sort of weaving his real experiences with, you know, w- with fiction and with these these narratives. Uh, uh, you mentioned both uh, f- uh, for next extra I'll Need a Volunteer and I Was in the House When the House Burned Down. Both those are really fantastic songs. There's a song uh uh, Dirty little religion and fistful of rain both sort of have those. Dirty, re- Dirty both
1: little Great. religion is hilarious. He's just playing with ideas of like sex and blasphemy, just being as outrageous as he can. And so, like, what is it? You know, I've, I've. He's basically saying, I'm going to love you so naughty, it's going to be religion. We're going to make a dirty little religion out of loving. I'm going to make a dirty little convert out of you. Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. It's just silly fun. And that's what, like, you know, like all the images of, like, you know, he's the redheaded stepchild keeping you nailed to the floor, the rapture. I mean, again, just having fun with the imagery. I'll make a dirty
3: little convert out of you. And try to keep you nailed to the floor Join us for the countdown to the rapture We've never turned a sinner from our door I'll make a dirty little religion out of living. I'll make a dirty little convert out of you I'll make a dirty little religion out of living. It's a dirty little religion hallelujah dirty little hallelujah.
0: and this is an album kind of ironically uh he sounds alive he sounds bouncy he sounds uh invested in the material in a way he hadn't in had a while on the song about uh, the song cycled about getting old and and being concerned about getting out of bed in the morning but he sounds really invested in the material this this really is one of his best albums
2: Bryce? and i have to agree and i i think to uh Segue into from from what you were just saying. It's one of his best albums. He's really upbeat. He's very bouncy, uh, even though he's talking about getting older. He, he's now in his 50s, which is really old, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but 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 then but then he he gobsmacks you with a cover of Steve Winwood.
1: I was about to talk about this. And yeah, and it means so much more coming from him than it was from anybody else. I mean, this song, Back in the High Life, is a song. We joked about this on our Steve Winwood episode. It's a song about falling off the wagon. Right. You know, like, all the doors that closed one time will open up again. Like, oh, the tales they'll tell. I mean, you realize when Steve Winwood sings the way he sings, it's hard for you to parse it. It's about, you know, basically saying, ah, screw it. I'm going to go back down to the bar and, you know, you know, tie a few on. Um, Warren Zevon singing that in that cracked voice, that aged voice. And it's just a folk you know, it's a, just a very folk acoustic spare backing, makes it sound like almost like a confession, a, a, a confession of failure in a weird way. It, there's the joy of being back in the high life. It's not quite there in the same way that it is when Steve Winwood sings it. It is just a gloriously well. It's
0: just more record. about falling back into old habits, right, and being yeah. comfortable. It's different. <laughs>
3: It seemed to me that my life ran on too fast And I had to take it slowly just to make the good parts last when you're born to run, it's so hard to just slow down So don't be surprised to see me in the brighter part of town And I'll be back in the high life again all the doors are closed one time will open up again. I'll be back in the high life again. All the eyes that watched
1: me once will smile and take me in. But it's a magnificent song on, on a great album. I would say, you know, there's no question for you. It's his best late period album. But yeah, you know, my, my stuff is effed up is... A fantastic song and I'm just a, boy we need to get the rules changed so I can say that without you know iTunes slapping well, us with an adult content
0: you know or, if you want to hear Jeff say those words subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash political beats where the episodes are uncensored
1: where they won't be bleeped That's right right. So
0: uh, did
2: anybody anybody want to say anything more about life will kill you before we move on Uh, don't let us get sick I, I think it is a, a wonderful song to close the album with it's it's uh, this is him talking to someone and telling them that their uh, demise is nigh and there, there's nothing you can do about it and unfortunately that, that's sort of kind of what happened the sky
3: was on fire when I walked to the mill to take up a slackin and- I thought of my friends and the troubles they've had To keep me from thinking of mine Don't let us get sick, don't let us get old Don't let us get stupid, alright Just make us be brave, make us play nice let
1: us be together tonight. I mean, it was only a year and a half, two years later that he got his diagnosis. I think it was
0: less than that.
1: It was mesothelioma. So yeah. it's like essentially lung cancer. It's ironically, it wasn't the drinking that killed him; <laughs> It was the smoking. Um, don't smoke, kids. Um, but before that, he put out another album following up really quickly upon the success of uh, Life Will Kill You. He comes out two years later with My Rides Here. And this is weird. This is sort of like the sort of literary collaboration album yeah. is the way I would describe it. And I don't think it works. Yeah, I'm not sure it works as well as it could either. But there are some good songs. The one that he wrote with, oh, gosh, of all people, was a Mitch album.
0: Mitch album, yeah.
1: Sports writer? Is he, the Detroit Free Press? Is that where it's yep, from? Still
0: there, yep. And uh, Tuesdays, the, Tuesdays with Maury was the big book. But yeah, he's a he. Well, I want to know
1: who wrote those lyrics because they sound like Zevon. But if Mitch,
0: it had. To, I mean, Mitch isn't writing the melody, right? I mean, it's, it's well, got to be Mitch on the I, lyrics. Mitch,
1: Mitch writes like Warren. That's a beautiful. That's a beautiful song in the tradition of rolling the headless Thompson gunner. About well, well, a,
2: well, Mitch, Mitch and. Uh, Warren had spent a lot of time together in the Rock Bottom Remainders as part of a band. So they, 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 they knew each other's methodology. They knew their, each other's playing. And uh, so they were, they were very close friends. So Album did write the lyrics and z adjusted the lyrics to fit the melody.
1: So what this is about, the song is called Hit Somebody. It's the hockey song. z became a big hockey fan late in life. So he just said, hey, I'm going to write a song about hockey. That's, I guess, why he turned to Mitch Album. And this is about a song about a, a good old, lovable lunk-headed goon from big beaver by the borderline. Presumably he's right on the borderline of like Western Canada and America. You know, he starts playing hockey, but you know, he's no good with the puck. He's no good. You know, we know skating. He's not fast, but he's just a big guy. So what could he be? Well, he could be an enforcer on the ice. He could be that guy who will punch you in the face and start a fight. He's never gonna be the one you want with the puck when there's like, time running out, but he can be the guy who will you know like you know <laughs> you know, throw a fist. And then of course there's the you know the great story of this guy is when he finally gets you know, he is the big game and you know he he finally has the chance to score the goal. What's 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 the line where well, there are Swedes to the left, Russians to the right, a check at the blue line looking for a fight? You know, what's a Canadian farm boy to do? What can he do? Well, he could do, he could listen to Dave Letterman who sings in the choruses and says Hit somebody! The goalie
3: committed but he picked his spot 20 years of waiting went into that shot The fans jumped up And the fin jumped too And Cole cocked Buddy on his follow through The big man crumbled But he felt alright Cause the last thing he saw was the flashing red light He saw that heavenly night There were skis to the left of them, Russians to the right A check at the blue line looking for a fight Take care of your teeth, that might work for you What's a Canadian farm boy to do? What else can a farm boy from Canada do? What a Canadian farm boy to do? What else can a farm boy from Canada do? What's a Canadian farm boy to do? It's somebody what else can a farm boy
4: Just a goofy,
1: fun song. I love this sort of style of z uh, This is the stuff, Scott, where I guess I think you aren't as big a fan of it as I am.
0: No, I, I like Hit Somebody. Um, the, the, uh, the 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 songs that I think don't work as well here are, well, most of the rest. Uh, Carl Hyacin provided lyrics for, I think, three or four songs. And they're all bad. They're all bad. Uh, yeah. The Hunter S. Thompson works okay here. Um, but I, I
1: Sacrificial Labs is also a very good song yeah
0: I, I think by and large I don't love these, these collaborations here on, on my rides here but yes hit somebody is like you know if the Hanson Brothers uh, aspired to be more than just you know guys who would put them on a foil and, and fight if they if they wanted to score a goal the uh, one
1: thing it lacks is brevity. Uh, you know, it's a
0: long song. It's like six minutes. Yeah,
1: Zivon would edit himself if he were writing those lyrics. But I think the real problem with the rest of this album, and, and you're right about this, is like, why are you going to take away? You know, the thing that makes right. him right. Yeah, like you know, him his best, <laughs> his best quality is his lyrical vision. You know, and, and so you're giving that to turn it over to novelists. It.
0: Yeah, it's just it's a little weird.
1: I mean, yeah, Letterman it, it, Letterman it, it, knew not to try to write a song. He just wanted to sing on the background.
2: Yeah, it's almost as if he's, you know, scratching and clawing, scrambling to get some type of uh, relevance to a new audience as, as he well, was aging and, and, very well and, could and working be for, for a, a smaller record label. You were saying, Scott?
0: I, there very well could be some truth to that. The, uh, Stephen Hyden, uh friend of the program, uh, you wrote that book with uh, with him, didn't you, Jeff? Uh, it was is it Jeff Blair with Stephen Hyden. Is that what it says on the Radiohead book? Oh, yeah, come on now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I helped him with a little research is what he's uh, talking about.
0: But he, he had uh, a couple of years ago, some years ago, had a sort of a, a Warren Zevon uh, reconsideration. And uh, there's a great anecdote from Steve Gorman, the drummer of the Black Crows in there, uh, former drummer of the Black Crows in there, about recording Knock It On Heaven's Door and what it was like to be there that night uh, on the wind. But uh, there's there's a lot of sort of reconsiderations about, you know, what kind of guy he was. And, you know, he he, he, he was physical. He beat his wife, drank to excess, all these terrible things. And at the end of his life, uh, at least in Haydn's piece, he says that uh, Zivon was extremely explicit with, like, his managers and people saying, look, exploit my illness and impending death as much as you can. There, there is no... Right. Just take it and run with it and try to try to exploit it as much as you can. The fact that I'm about to die, whatever you can do to help, you know, sell more this and that do it. So the fact that he might have been looking for um, a to turn out more product, right, by turning to other people to help him with lyrics and also teaming with people who might have given him, you know, a little bit of a foothold of, a, of an audience. It's not that out of the realm of possibility, I think.
2: Well according to the book what he was trying to do was establish a college fund for his two grandkids. Yeah. And it, they who were twins and uh he obviously he felt very bad about some of the the things that he had uh done to his first wife. He was still not an agreeable person unless you were very very close to him and even then most people who were close to him would admit that uh there were spells where Uh, dry spells where they wouldn't talk to each other because of something that he had done.
1: I mean, he was obviously a very difficult person throughout his entire life. But I have to say, I do really respect the way he handled his death. I I think, you know, you could do two ways. You could do David Bowie style, right? Where, you know, it's just like, uh, the world doesn't need to know until the moment I pass away. But of course, David Bowie was his king sitting in this castle, you know, up in, you know, like, you know, the Catskills yeah, he can do anything he wants, and he lives a life of comfort. Warren Zevon, as I said, he wants to establish a college fund. He has to worry about like real hard hard realities and things like that. So if he says, hey, you want to exploit this? Do it. And the thing is, Zevon's final album, The Wind, is anything but exploitative. It is that they definitely sold it. I remember it well at the time. It's was like, look at these cast of stars. Bruce Springsteen's playing with them. Jackson Brown's here. Tom Petty's on a track. Emmylou Harris is there. I actually don't think the guests are as important as the songs themselves. I think only on one song does it feel like a superstar jam session, and that is "Knocking on Heaven's Door." I've had a theory for a very long time now that no matter how uh, you know talented you are, and you know how how right you know your heart is, you cannot cover "Knocking on Heaven's Door." <laughs> um, it's not a bad version, thankfully. It's not Guns N' Roses bad, but nor is it great. <laughs> all right. But I think the rest of this album is also is, is really good, and it does end with what we actually already uh, chose as one of our greatest tribute songs of all time. And of course, in the classic Warren Zevon fashion, it's Warren writing a tribute to himself. <laughs> Scott, you want to talk to us about "Keep Me in Your Heart"?
0: Well, it's a, it's I think it's uh, probably the best song, and it's one of the only ones um, that is sort of explicitly about his pending death, right? This is what I was getting at. Uh, with life will kill you. That's that's sort of what I think people people who don't know the wind sort of think it is. Is this r- rumination on life and death and, and getting older? Uh, a lot of the wind is not that. It's just you know writing sort of normal Warren Zevon songs and inviting the your friends that you've made throughout your life and music to come play on them. But keep me in your heart is this very simple, uh, song that uh, that, that uh, he played on he played on Letterman. And, uh, and it's been on our episode before, as Jeff mentioned too, uh, Jeff mentioned before. But it's, um, it's about as sincere and, uh, and, and heart-tugging as anything that he would write in his entire catalog. It's how he chose to end his final album. I mean, and the simplicity of some of this, right? Sometimes when you're doing simple things around the house, maybe, maybe you'll think of me and smile. You know, I'm tied to you like buttons on your blouse. Keep me in your heart for a while. Um, it is, his delivery, the arrangement is all meant for a sort of maximum effect and damned if he doesn't pull it off. I mean, it is very hard to listen to the song knowing the circumstances, uh, and knowing his diagnosis and what he would die. What two, I think two weeks after the wind was released, Released. uh, it was right at the end and to listen to keep me in your heart. And, and not feel, you know, moved It's a very hard thing to do It's, it's a good song, it's melodically set up very well And again, the simplicity uh, and sincereness of those lyrics really stand out
3: Sometimes when you're doing simple things around the house Maybe you'll think of me and smile You know I'm tied to you Like the buttons on your blouse Keep me in your heart for a while Hold me in your thoughts Take me to your dreams Touch me as I fall into view And when the winter comes Keep the fires lit And I will be right Headed north to Pleasant Street Keep me in your heart for
2: a while Have to agree. Uh, I, I think it's a perfect ending to a song that ends, or to an album that begins perfectly. And uh, like Dirty yes. Life and Times, I think is a great song. And I, I like it because there's, you're, you're not being crowded by guest stars as much as I like Bruce Springsteen, I think Bruce Springsteen and Warren Zeebun are not a good match. I
0: don't really. like that song at all. I'd won i won Grammys. I for it.
2: I, I, I don't like that song. Thank you. Thank you. I, 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 gay I, gay I feel either. validated. But, yeah, uh, but uh, Dirty Life and Times is just Rye Cooter playing the crap out of this song. It's just great. He's standard. on two
0: songs, and they're both two of my favorites. I'm such yes. a Rye Cooter fan. It's just, he, he's great.
2: And I, I've I've been a huge fan of Ray Cooter since the the early 70s, and you, you can just his guitar style is just so ridiculously distinct, but it doesn't overshadow the the lyrics, the singing, and the other performances on the on on the album, including the the backup vocals by Dwight Yoakam. It's really really a great song. <laughs>
3: Handsome someone until she went out for a stroll Should've run after her It's hard to find a girl with a heart of gold When you're living in a four-letter world if she won't love me, then her sister will She's from say one thing He about
1: my dirty life and times. Ooh. Actually, <laughs> I'm going to be the guy who uh, is oh, the odd man out here because I like the Springsteen song. Yeah. It's not that bad disorder in the house. Um, I mean, I think it's not as good as Dirty Life and Times. I think you're right. I also I also like Prison Grove, uh, which he, by the way, one of his uh, frequent co-writers, we haven't mentioned him yet, is uh, his his named Jorge, yeah. Yeah, Jorge Calderon. Um, Really good. Uh, he he's actually got to start with Buckingham Nicks of all of all groups. Uh, it's funny how uh, our episodes seem to be kind of folding back upon themselves at this point because uh, we've talked about all these people. Um, but yeah, I really like "Rub Me Raw." I like I like the song that he wrote. I guess for his one of his one of his many partners or wives, El Amor de mi Mivita. I think that's great. Um, but yeah, it is a, it is an album that doesn't have that sense of finality and valediction that you expected it to have, as Scott points out, right up until the end. Keep me in your heart. Scott basically stole what I was going to say about that. (laughs) It's it's the best song on the album by far. Um, And it is one where, because it's so starkly recorded, you escape completely from the whole superstar jam session feeling that you can sometimes get like the one part that always made me roll my eyes is when it was like the songs. And then it would say featuring Billy Bob Thornton (laughs) and I'm like, son, good actor, but Billy Bob Thornton does not deserve to be a featured performer on any piece of music because he's just like a dude who likes to play music. He's like, uh, you know Johnny Depp or uh, Keanu Reeves, and they're part time bands. They so recorded that
0: always... they recorded at least part of this in his basement. He bought he bought Slash's old house, so he had all the you know Slash's you old know, all that in the space, basement. all that yeah.
1: space to work. So I guess that's why he got the credits. I mean, I'm not going to begrudge uh, him. I,
2: I, I had the opportunity to talk to Marty Stewart, who produced Billy Bob on several occasions, and uh, actually had many great things to say about his abilities as a musician, as a songwriter. <laughs>
1: Who knew? I mean, yeah. I guess that's me just being casually unfair to him because he's known as an actor and not as a musician. But maybe he, maybe it's like Rilo Jenny Lewis. For all we know,
2: Billy Bob yeah, th- Thornton could have been Rilo Kiley in, in another <laughs> universe. Well, be- right, and 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 I don't know. I like you. I I just kind of wince when I think of uh, Johnny Depp doing his Pete Townsend windmill on a male cologne commercial and, yeah. and things like that. It, it I, I find it kind of wince inducing there were a lot of unfortunate
1: aspects of the 90s and the 2000s but the whole johnny depp rock star experiment was probably the most i mean that's that's the one that we haven't lived down at least up until this point um however we must leave that universe and come back to this one and this is one that Warren yvonne is no longer a member of because of course he passed away as scott points out only two weeks after this album and this album was sort of his epitaph and his legacy but i do not think that this should be considered a representative album in his legacy
0: no i don't think so no
1: to the extent that any album in his legacy is truly representative it's probably excitable boy uh simply because that's the one that you most associate with him but this is now now we're entering the really fun part of the show where a guy who's like his singular defining aspect is his unrepresentativeness. We're going to now try to pick the two most <laughs> the, representative right. albums of his career.
0: <laughs> yes, at yeah. that time when uh, we give you the two albums that you should own from our artist and the five songs you need to hear. Our guest goes first. That's Bruce Edward Walker, Midwest Regional Editor for the Center Square and also writing on pop culture and literature and public policy in many places. And, of course, Hardcore warns Yvonne Van. And so we give him the task first. Bruce, your two albums and your five songs.
2: Okay, well, I I am going to adhere to the kids in the hall, Bruce McCulloch, who famously said, "Greatest hits albums are for housewives and little girls." <laughs> so, um, because because really, it's the, the the few that are out there are actually pretty gosh darn good representative of of his entire career. However, um, because we don't do anthologies, I would have to say. Bad Luck Streak in Dancing School would be my number one. Just because I, I think that's when he really found his voice as a vocalist. He actually felt like a rock and roller so that he could actually pull those songs off. And my second one would be more or less his, his comeback album after a drought. And that would be Life Will Kill You because I think the songs on that are absolutely astounding. And I think that he he finally hit a point of consistency where it wasn't just him repeating himself. And your five songs, my five songs, Holy cats and jammers. I guess I would have to say Carmelita would be number one and poor, poor pitiful me would be number two. So we got two songs off the first album. We would have to say rolling the headless Thompson gunner off the second album. And amazingly enough i'm going to skip all of the songs on bad luck streak and dancing school just because i do that
1: trick a lot so like i recommended (laughs) the album now here's some songs from other albums
2: (laughs) okay great okay so now i don't feel so self-conscious and uh so what are we at three songs now so um run straight down from traverse city and you can pick any two songs off of life will kill you because i think they're all astounding
0: all right, my uh, two albums are going to be The Envoy, which, again, I think is—I think it's his best album. I really do. And then I'm, I'm going to say Life Will Kill You. So uh, nothing from, from pre-1982, in fact, uh, on my list. Uh, but those are the two I think are are the most really solid start to finish. Not a bad song, really, on either of those albums. And uh, the five songs, I think The French Inhaler from that Debut or the, the real debut in 76 is, is one of his absolute finest compositions. Uh Rolling the Headless Thompson Gunner, I'll echo Bruce there. I think Let Nothing Come Between You from The Envoy is outstanding. And uh I really am kind of sprinkling from the different eras because again, it's just something you got to do, I think, with with a guy like Zevon. I think Boom Boom Mancini uh is uh, is 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 uh is on the list. And then uh for my next trick, I'll need a volunteer. I didn't talk too much about that in uh in the uh, in the in the episode, but that is a phenomenal song with a tremendous set of lyrics. So that's my fifth.
2: Jeff? Give it give us a sample of the of the lyrics that you like on that, Scott, because um I I, I have to say that is again one of my favorites as well. So
0: Yeah, there's um uh, what is this uh the line? It is um um uh, When he says, um, oh, uh, I can make love disappear, um, right? Uh, I can pull a rabbit out of my hat. I can pull it out, but I can't put it back. I can make love disappear. So it's even self-deprecating in that. Like, he knows what he is. He knows who he is. Uh, It's lonely up here when the tricks have been played and the spotlights have faded. Um, It's just, it's a really wonderful, and it it, it starts and ends with the same lyric. I I can saw a woman in two, but you won't want to look in the box when I do. Ah, that's really cool. I
3: can saw a woman in two, but you won't want to look in the box when I'm through. I can make a love- <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: uh, the man has a way with a couplet. Oh, that is funny. Oh, I guess it's my turn now, right? My two albums, gosh, boy, we all have different answers. I am going to. My way of solving a problem of there not being a representative album is a Get the Live album cop out. Stand in the Fire really is the best way to hear the first three Warren Zevon albums. Because it's all the best stuff from there and none of the slow bits, which to me generally are the less interesting bits. It's just a, a fantastic, boisterous live record. Um, and my second one will be The Envoy as well because none of that's on Stand of the Fire. And I think that really is probably his single best album just in terms of these this sequence of songs that – You know, may not actually hang together as a record thematically, but they're all curate's eggs. They're all just really well-written pieces. As for my five numbers, well, that's just God help you. I think I'll start with Desperados Under the Eaves from the debut album. Beautiful song about a man basically who keeps making the same mistakes in life and probably will until California slides into the sea. Then there's "Rolling the Headless Thompson Gunner. We've talked enough about it. It's a folk protest song for a new age. Um, Lawyers, guns, and money. Uh, Yeah, that's that's basically my theme song. Let Nothing Come Between You and Ain't That Pretty At All are two songs from The Envoy that I had to choose between, and since I... Couldn't choose between them, and they're on opposite ends of the spectrum. One being a very peaceful, gentle love song, and the other one basically being, you know, a statement of drunken debauchery. I decided to choose neither, and I'm going with all of them. And I'm going to pick a sixth song because I'm the host and say my shit's up. And yeah, I'm going to have to spell that out. That would be my s h i t s is f u c k e d up uh, from Life Will Kill You. Uh, is a fantastic song about the grumps and the gripes of aging. He wrote it before he received his cancer diagnosis, I'll point out. and uh, might have been pretty prophetic in that way, but I think all of us can relate to it regardless. That
3: amazing grace Sort of passed you by You wake up every day And you start to cry You won't just can't quit Let me break it on down It's the fucked up shit Yeah, my shit's fucked up
0: There we are, the Political Beats look at the life and music of Warren Zevon. We thank our guest, Bruce Edward Walker, Midwest Regional Editor for the Center Square. Find his writing in various reference books, newspapers, magazines, websites. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us once again, coming back to Political Beats.
2: It's been my great pleasure, Scott and Jeff. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: And uh, Jeff, we uh, slide into the, uh, the the Christmas season here, but we still have plans. We have our, our part two of our Patreon exclusive uh, Ask Us Anything episode coming up uh, very soon.
1: And We're far too nice to you people. Two episodes, a right. Patreon episode. It's an embarrassment of gifts for the holiday season.
0: And then we are recording an episode just after Christmas that I think we will be able to slide out. If if we hustle, uh,
1: sneak it under the door.
0: For the new year. The, that's right, before the end of the year. So we still have much to do. You can find Jeff over at Esoteric CD.
1: I have always believed that a Christmas gift is not late if it is given before December thirty first.
0: Uh, I think we should be okay then. Yep. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Scott Bertram. Uh, again patreon.com slash political beats uh, last month was an ask us anything and we're going to do another one here in a week or so we'll take more questions from the audience uh, but it's got to be you know submitted over at patreon uh, patreon.com slash political beats entry level, mid level, upper level find the details there we come now to the part of the show where we thank our patreon supporters specifically and individually for their support Eli Lake, former guest he'll be back again, thank you Nicholas Von Rosk Sugar Mouse, Jan, John, I'm unsure about that one, just one name, uh, John Helmick, Steve Heineman, and Anthony John Martyr. Thank you and the rest of you for being part of our team, part of our family, at patreon.com slash Beats. Subscribe to our feed for new episodes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or go right to nationalreview.com, click on the podcast tab, us on Facebook. Join the conversation on Twitter at political underscore beats. This has been a presentation of National Review. This is Political Beats.